Hello and welcome back to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I am your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by my usual suspect. I'm Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. And we've got uh, a couple of special things going on. First of all, I am hopped up on OxyContin, people. OxyContin, baby. I am not going to be in the ring today. Uh, however, to replace me uh, with people who are not hopped up on drugs, at least... I didn't do a drug test first. So maybe we'll find out as we go. Uh, We've got Andrew from his various uh, efforts. Andrew? Hello, everyone. And it's pretty optimistic to think that the rest of us are not on drugs. Uh, (laughs) Speaking entirely for myself, I am on uh, low-level medication and uh, and. I probably always should be. <laughs> so, and so rounding out this impromptu roundtable, the guy who's actually on the car <clears throat> to fight with uh, our resident Christian critter this week uh, is Matthew Taylor, the man with the worst fake British accent ever. Hello, guys. I'm in my secret cider in Somerset. I don't even know what you just said. Um, <laughs> so with that. <laughs> Something about a lair and a sunset. Yeah. Uh, just drop the act, man. He's, he's from Virginia. Come on. Um, so what we, uh, what we have here, um, uh, one note, one SNS note. Uh, so Dale has been posting our blogs Uh, a little bit early uh, before the podcast. And what that does is that gives us a chance uh, to have some good conversation uh, started before we actually record. And so in this case, uh, we've got a good head start uh, on this week's subject. We've got 30 comments uh, so far, and we haven't even had the discussion. And I just wanted to read uh, one of them uh, right now, uh, which I happen to appreciate, so I'm gonna I'm gonna egg the pudding. I don't. I think. Hey, Sarah, did I do that right? Egg the pudding. Is that a real saying? I don't know. That's um, a real saying. Yeah. It's well, over egg the pudding. I think. Okay. Well, I'm not gonna over egg the pudding. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna get this party started, people. Uh, our esteemed, our esteemed skeptical commenter Darren Lute. Uh, had this to say, quoting from uh, Matthew, if Dale wishes to establish that miracles are plausible, he must face also uh, answer how they happen, what makes them happen, and what tests can be established uh, to confirm one. Adding miracles to a list of options and relying on ignorance to gain uh, votes is not how you establish genuine plausibility. Believing something to be plausible does not make it plausible. Darren follows, I think this idea needs to be highlighted. Since it is a common tactic of the apologist, they want you to believe that ignorance makes their idea more plausible. Notice, though, that Dale didn't do anything to demonstrate that the supernatural or miracles were a real option, something that actually happens and therefore has a seat at the table when considering the possibilities. He appealed to people's ignorance on the subject, trying to slip the miraculous in with no evidence that it actually deserves to be there. There has never been an apologist that has ever demonstrated the supernatural or miraculous is a real thing. The only thing they ever try to do is slip in the miraculous 
uh, through your ignorance on what really happened. Last paragraph. And I think that is an important thing uh, that we need to watch out for when evaluating the possibility of miracles. Ladies and gentlemen, Dale is going to now present the case, the plausibility, open parentheses, or equal possibility slash probability, close parentheses, of the miraculous dash refuting the skeptical presumption of scientism slash naturalism. It's all yours, Dale. Is it going to include a miracle? I'm just curious. (laughs) It's all yours, Dale. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so thank you, I guess, David, for for setting that up. I was making Um, the pudding. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, what what I'm doing this week is I'm arguing for what what I call the equal possibility, or I guess if we're you know having to be technical, the equal probability of the supernatural or the miraculous. And my main argument is: look, um, anything that is logically possible is is an option on the table. Uh, this is the default state to be in. It's a state of agnosticism, and it follows from the principle of indifference. Uh, some people call it the principle of equal probabilities. <clears throat> and it basically just says, look, you, you don't favor one hypothesis over another um, or one thing over another unless you have reason to, to favor one over another or to discredit one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not, when I use the word plausibility, that some people might take that to mean that I'm arguing that it's a positive claim, that I, I can say, I can prove that it's probably possible uh, that miracles ha- happen. And I think I can do that if I need to. I can appeal to properly basic beliefs and our modal evaluating faculties to say, well, it's logically possible. Um, and possibly construct a case that it's factually possible in this universe from that. Um, I can also argue from the existence of God, as as everyone admits, um, including Matt in his blog, if one proves that a supernatural God exists, then yeah, that provides some positive warrant for thinking that the supernatural is probably possible. Now, that's not, that's not what I had in mind when I was writing my blog. I wasn't trying to say, well, I can prove it's probably possible. I was just trying to say, well, it's an equal possibility is our default state. And skeptics who try to say that it's probably not possible uh, can't do that. And I've provided the two reasons that I think many skeptics uh, try to use, which are scientism as well as um, naturalism or, you know, this notion that it's a violation of the laws of nature. Um, now, every skeptic has come on board, come on and said they deny these claims. So I'm not I'm not sure what's the, the point of really refuting it at this point. But um, yeah, I guess put it this way, there, there are subtle indications in things that David has said and in things that, you know, the, Darren Lute, one of our listeners, has said that lead me to think that there is at least some influence of these notions on the part of the skeptic, where the skeptic is seems to be claiming it's probably impossible for the supernatural to exist. Um, so yeah, what's the, what are, in terms of supernatural or miraculous, what is this um, about? So 
In the first place, philosophers differentiate uh, between God's uh, providential ordinaria, which is his ordinary providence, you know, the laws of nature and ordinary natural mechanisms that are currently well established. Um, I drop a ball, it's going to fall due to the you know law of gravity or that sort of thing. Um, and then there's the providentia extraordinary, so extraordinary providence of God, where um, things happen uh, that are not ordinary uh, natural mechanisms or that sort of thing. So this can actually include other natural events, non-miraculous special providence. And in my own, um, and just not to confuse from the blog, I actually can, I consider this category, these potentially could be G-belief authenticating events if one can make the argument based on the circumstances or that sort of thing. So for example, maybe God providentially arranged the world so that a certain earthquake would happen at the exact time Moses needed it to, to happen to perform one of his miracles. Um, uh, another time, at another time, a rock slide would happen to block the path of the the Jordan River that allowed the Israelites to cross at ex at the exact moment they needed to cross the river. Um, another example from the Nativity story that I I always appeal to is you know there's three heavenly bodies that just happened to coalesce at the on the exact night that um, Jesus was born, and perceptually this seems as though it's going over Bethlehem for the people on the, the ground and that sort of thing. Uh, there's nothing supernatural or miraculous about these. There's nothing supernatural about these, but someone could say, well, it's possibly miraculous, even though it's fully natural, um, but it's the timing, it's the circumstances that make it extraordinary and serve as a sign that, hey, there's some significance to this event. And uh, yeah, and then the other one is obviously supernatural. Um, events or miracles and there are different categories of this uh, some people um, I my basic categorization is look there there are miracle supernatural events that serve as G belief authenticating events that that was the thing that mattered to me when I did my studies um, and then there are other supernatural events done for other purposes such as you know the miracle miracle healings for compassionate purposes they're not meant to serve as proof that Christianity is true, but God is, in his compassion, healing uh, an atheist who, in his desperation, prays out to God for help uh, on a medical thing, or the Hindu. It, you know, it's, it's not meant to serve to authenticate a religion, but God is doing a supernatural event for another purpose, such as he has compassion on people that need help or something like that from time to time. Um so yeah, that, that's sort of the lay of the land of how we make sense of the category of miraculous or God's actions in the universe um, from a theist perspective. And yeah, so in terms of we're in our default blank slate, uh, we have no reason to believe that it, it's probably possible that uh, miracles happen or that it's probably impossible. Um, I'm just open to all the possibilities. Then the skeptic comes in and says, well, no, I, I have some reasons to say that it's probably impossible. The first is scientism. Um, so yeah, I'll just go through the motions. There, there are skeptics, even if Matthew and, and Andrew and 
David or, or all of the skeptics, Darren and that sort of thing, say they don't use this, there are definitely skeptics that do use this. And there are definitely um, perhaps subconscious little slips that seem to say that this has been an influence on your thinking in terms of miracles. So I think it's worth it just to go just to go through this and refute it. So so strong scientism is is basically self-refuting. It's it's the claim that only scientific propositions or theories, things that have been um, are amenable to the scientific method or um, are appropriate for scientific investigation within the strict confines of, of science proper as a discipline. Um, only those are true or rational for people to believe. And obviously this is self-refuting, right? It, it's uh, all skeptics today who are aware of what scientism is and how it <coughs> operates um, think it's ridiculous because scientism itself is not a proposition of science. It's not amenable to the scientific method. It, it's a uh, it's a doctrine um, that's part of ph the philosophy of science. Um, what what I get the sense is most. Um, most skeptics on a lay level, not as an insult, that's that's just what you are. I'm a lay Christian, so this isn't an insult, we're, we're all lay. So on a popular level, perhaps, let's say it that way, um, weak scientism is, is what I sort of detect. So that's just basically saying that, look, science is better um, than other disciplines for coming to knowledge, and it's the most authoritative, the, the most valuable. and. The most controversial part is they see it as a one-way street, and and I have detected this from skeptics in our audience, including David, who who will say things like philosophy and theology just are not they're not cognitive disciplines. Uh, I mean, you you said this on on air, so I'm not misrepresenting you guys, but um, yeah, it's uh, okay. So so there's two problems with this notion because science is seen to provide the justification for everything. It's a one-way street, so science can never be informed or corrected upon by any other discipline. Um, it, you know, it's always science. And I presented the two problems with that in the blog. So the, the first one is one that I've raised with Andrew and um, Matt on their show, Ask an Atheist Anything, when we had Paul, my pro former professor, Paul Bali, uh, who was kind enough to come on. And I made the distinction between the external philosophy of science versus this assumed position of an internal philosophy of science. And I think with the two objections here, it's it's obvious that an external philosophy of science is correct because number one, science, the entire scientific discipline, science proper, is based on certain philosophical theses uh, that are have to be assumed to be true or else the game doesn't get off the ground. And there are at least a dozen or more of these various philosophical theses, which are of the, the they are part of the discipline of the philosophy of science. That's, that's their ground. You have to argue for these uh, philosophically. So there are things like the existence of a theory-independent external world. Um, so if you want to know the technical name, this is the realism versus anti-realism debates. And there are entire books on this subject all within philosophy. There, there, many, you think Peter Atkins, he's probably not even aware of this. It's just built in that, oh, realism is true and we operate on that, that basis. It, it would never... 
he would probably just dismiss um, anti-realism out of the gate. Well, you can't do that. You can't just assert and assume what you want. Um, you have to prove that and justify that. So that's a presupposition that science is built on. That there are other things. I, I, I challenged David in one of our shows with the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Whether you think that was successful or not, that is an argument that is philosophical. <laughs> Um, so the knowability of nature and our, the reliability of our cognitive faculties. Um, that isn't a question that science answer, can answer. It's, it's a question that science presupposes in order to work. Um, the truth of the laws of logic are, are one of my favorites that I've always appealed to with people like Andrew and, and stuff like that, as he'll remember from, from some of our private talks. Um, you know, the existence of values, for goodness sakes. Um, <clears throat> Should scientists report their data honestly, or you know, why not fudge the data to fit your scientific theory? If, if what's wrong with that? You know, this is a value thing. That values are not a proper part of science, the scientific method or scientific science proper as a discipline. Um, there's the problem of induction that uh, David Hume gives. Um, the principle of the uniformity of nature. The, these are all just presuppositions that whether you're justified or not, and I think we would all agree these uh, assumptions are warranted on the part of skeptics and Christians. Um, but the the reason for this is, uh, sorry, these are the domain of philosophy proper. Um, and then the second one is that, so this is sort of related to David's challenge. He sort of says, I, I don't understand why he keeps I, like I've provided it, David Smalley's provided it. He he says, look, we can have equally strong, if not stronger, knowledge in non-scientific disciplines. It's it's possible um, for other disciplines like history or archaeology, um, philosophy, theology to to provide us with knowledge, uh, and sometimes the knowledge that we gain in these fields uh, provide us with a, a higher degree of knowledge than science can ever hope to. I've heard from so many skeptics, um, you know, I was chastised by people like Alan and Tyler B for saying, you know, science, it's 100% proven uh, that this or something, and they say, no, it, it's only 99.99999, that's all you can ever get. Well, okay, um, I've got properly basic beliefs that I exist. It's self-evident. That's in 100% degree. Um, and um, my experience, phenomenological or experiential knowledge, I held that in the 100% degree. Um, it's it's self-evident. It's immediate to me. Um, properly, basically, said the domain of philosophy. They, you know, you guys, skeptics, have discounted it over and over again. Um, but that's a, a philosophical notion or piece of evidence. Um, that's not a part of science. Scientists can't appeal to properly basic beliefs to uh, prove a scientific hypothesis or something like that. Well, that's stronger. Um, the fact that I'm seeing redness or feeling the feeling of painness, um, yeah, there, there you go. That that proves that scientism can't be true. So, so yeah, if, if we have knowledge that is more authoritative than science in some respects, then weak scientism can't be true because weak scientism says, nope, science is the most authoritative in every respect. It's a one-way street type thing. And number two, if there are philosophical presuppositions which science is founded upon, then you can't you can't pretend that science it's it's contradictory to say that science is somehow 
stronger in terms of epistemic justification than the presuppositions which it's founded upon. That's just illogical. You can't say that. Um, and then I get into the laws of nature. Just, just out of curiosity, um, so does does anyone uh, does anyone here of the skeptics believe that uh, the supernatural counts as a violation of the laws of nature? Do you, do you really want to stop your flow for us to answer that, or do you want I'm, us to wait and answer that when we make our statements? Um, well, if, I, if you I could fear just, that if, that might interrupt your flow, and you've got a good flow going. But, uh, but I will be glad to answer it if you actually want to hear the answer. I'll be uh, swift, and I'll ask the others to be swift, too, if that's, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, I guess if yeah, just just give like um, a yes or no, and then in your thing, you guys can elaborate on on what you mean and that sort of thing. But well, yeah, briefly, I, I, yes. a miracle is a violation of nature. If it's not, then it's just nature. So I don't. I, we already have a name for it. You know, if it's if it's nature acting um, rarely, we call it nature. <laughs> so uh, we wouldn't call it a miracle. If it was, if as, if it wasn't something more than nature, so that that would be my answer there. Okay, and Matt and Andrew. Yes. You do. Okay, uh, that was Matt that said that. <clears throat> yep. uh, my answer is do something supernatural, and then we'll have a conversation. I don't know. Do something supernatural, and then we can talk about it. I, I, okay, okay, um, cool. So, so yeah, um, so yeah, with the violation of the laws of nature, this this is an old claim that comes basically from the the Enlightenment is when it really became popular with people like David Hume and his in principle argument against miracles, or Voltaire is the one that I quote. Um, and I think it comes from an outdated notion of what the laws of nature are. Um, and how they operate. Um, you know, we, we no longer believe in the Newtonian world machine. <laughs> um, and essentially there are three predominant views to how we view what the laws of nature are. So I, the first one is regularity theory. So this is sort of indicative of what I've presented in, in the past on shows with David, where I just say, well, look, the laws of nature are just generalized mathematical descriptions of the way things normally happen in the universe. Um, whereas uh, gnomic necessity theory and again, so the, there's no violation. If, if the supernatural happens, you can just uh, amend the laws to say, well, a supernatural event or a natural anom anomaly took place um, here. Um, so that's not a normal part of the regular function, but there's no violation. You, you're not vi If a supernatural event did occur, that's not violating a description, as though descriptions can be you know, yeah, considered a logically contradictory violation. Um, the gnomic necessity theory, so some people call it the necessitarian theory. So this is what I thought David argued for uh, based on multiple shows. Um, he denies this out of fairness now, but this is sort of a prescriptive notion. Look, the, the laws of nature are logically uh, necessary, um, or they're or at the very least factually necessary. Um, and this means that this this allows us to make certain counterfactual judgments, right? So you hear scientists all the time. If certain facts were different, then this would have happened. 
Um, and I, I certainly, believing these counterfactual judgments, I think this is valid for scientists to do. We, we can um, say if these were, if anything was uh, different in the universe, uh, natural or supernatural or something like that, then, sorry, if anything was different, um, then we can pre make predictions as to what would happen, how nature would respond and that sort of thing. Um, then the causal dispositions theory is basically it's grounding it in the natural objects themselves. They have certain inherent natures or uh, at the very least causal dispositions. And this is what the laws of nature are describing, um, these, these uh, causal dispositions of certain objects to do or to react or to affect other things in the universe in certain ways. Um, so yeah, it's if a supernatural act would occur, that wouldn't be a violation. That would just be a um, sort of like an interference uh, in some way of, of you know, you're interfering or impeding the object's ability to do what it would normally do. Um, again, that's not a violation in terms of being logically contradictory. Um, and yeah, the, the other thing with the gnomic necessity theory, so that's not a violation either. Um, because number one, we have the, it would just constitute, okay, we would need to revise the laws as we understand them. And scientists have been humbled in the 20th century uh, quite radically um, to understanding that there are always, it, with every quote unquote law of nature, there are implicit assumptions that all else is equal or that sort of thing. So that's where you'll, you'll hear people like John Lennox give his famous example that he uses over and over again uh, about, well, if I say, if I put two toonies in a, in a, in a piggy bank and then I wake up the following morning, there's only one toonie there. Um, that I wouldn't say that the laws of mathematics or science have been broken, um, the laws of nature uh, have been violated. I would say that the laws of Alabama have been violated, um, meaning someone from outside entered the system, causally interfered and took out the, the money, and that's why we only have $2 there. Um, so that's, yeah, and it, that's in a nutshell what my case was about. Um, I'm, I'm getting the sense from, from skeptics that it's not really going to be relevant. They they have their own reasons. So so yeah, I'll, I'll turn it over to, to Matt to make or, or David wants to say something first. Um, yeah, I'll I'll turn it over to the skeptics and we'll take it from there. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and make my uh, response here. I think people expect me to make a little bit of a response, but it'll be short. Uh, just remember, Matt is actually the one in the ring. Andrew and I are just the clowns who are handing him the tin chair so that when the ref is not looking, he can bash Dale over the head with it. For those, I'm not handing him a tin chair. It's watch. not a tin chair. It's, it's not a tin chair? <laughs> no, no, no. It's always a folding chair. It's some kind of a chair, and then the referee gets it distracted is. by the audience, and then he swings the chair, and like the referee never sees it, and then he gets rid of the chair. And the airflu looks back and sees a guy on the ground and he just counts him out. Can't Any I have a boxing glove with a horseshoe hidden in it? <laughs> well, well, Andrew will be preparing. I, I, I said it wasn't a tin chair. It, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a tin chair. <laughs> this is our role. Um, okay. So, yeah, so we're going to bookend you. Um, 
here at Matthew, but uh, make no mistake about it. Matthew is the one who's actually delivering the damage. But uh, I did I did have a few things to say about this. Also to the audience who is wondering about the miracle show that we promised, this isn't actually it. <laughs> this is a preamble to the real miracle show. Stay tuned. Uh, so, uh, Dale, I would say, first of all, you get in trouble a little bit when you talk about uh, my views. Sorry, or... sorry to interrupt. Just, just so I know. So, like, if if the way you're running this is so, Matt's my official. Matt is really opponent. Your, he's, he's your opponent. So I'm. So I won't be responding to anything that you or Andrew say. You don't have to. You can't. You, I mean, treat it like a round okay. table. But you know, okay. on the card, it's you and Matthew. Okay. Plus, plus the other guys. Okay. Yeah. You're not looking for fairness here, are you? No, no. I was okay. just wondering if, if you guys wanted me to like. <laughs> <laughs> write down your points and try to respond to them no, as well. No, as as you like. You see, um, in in the South, and probably not just in the South, in athletics, uh, Andrew will uh, recognize this. There's a game uh, that we athletes play when we're not actually practicing for the thing that we're athletes for. It's called oh, smear the man in the middle. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, we're woke. We can't say that now. Man in the middle, um, and the uh, man in the middle is. You know, one guy who is trying to evade everybody else who is basically trying to kill them for no good reason. There's no establishment of what the man in the middle did wrong or why why the rest of them are after them. That's just the game. Don't overthink it. No, everybody on the outside has a properly basic belief that the guy on the inside did something bad. It's, and, so <laughs> and so they're after him, and the man in the middle simply has to survive the attack. Now, everybody who has done this knows that the real fun is to be the man in the middle. Um, so, Dale, Dale, actually, you, you are getting to play the man in the middle here. Each one of us, except maybe for Matthew, because he's a gentle soul, would rather be in your position. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. I wasn't complaining. I was no. just asking if you should take notes or not. No. No, so <laughs> I'm you, used to... Look, you're the I'm guy just... in the middle. You can survive any way you want to. Um, gotcha. That's that's the deal. The man in the middle actually has no rules. <laughs> Just survive. Just live to tell the tale. Um, so, with that said, um, uh, I would say that your your part of your challenge is labels, and I think that labels always get people into trouble. And when you're trying to say, well, you know, what David said on this show or what Andrew said on that show, and what you're what you're doing in your mind is you've got this label in your mind, such as scientism. And you're fitting what we said into your label. But here's the thing. People who might actually have a view that looks like scientism don't say, oh, I'm scientistic. I believe in scientism. That's actually a pejorative uh, handed by the other side. So I would just say be careful of labels and trying to figure out what someone means and, and pigeonholing them into that. Um, so... Uh, I have sometimes in the man in the middle fashion uh, allowed myself to take the position of scientistic just for the game. But in truth, I am I am not scientistic in the way that it's described. I, I think that science uh, and we might have some discussion about what science is, because I think the Christian mission represents even what we mean by science. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think it's the best method for learning true things about the universe the vast majority of the time. And so I do look for those answers first, but I am not opposed to looking for answers 
in other areas. I just need the uh, one proposing that there are other areas to tell me exactly what areas uh, they're talking about and how I'm supposed to use that to get an answer as reliable uh, as the scientific answer. And usually uh, what happens is I, I see a demonstration that they don't really understand science that they are inveighing against or comparing it to. They're usually borrowing science uh, to talk about this other method, or they're talking about some supernatural method, such as, um, oh, let's call it a properly basic belief, something that we can't really access reliably. Uh, Dell says that it's a philosophically uh, known idea. Well, yeah, for a Christian philosopher, maybe. I don't, I don't actually hear non-Christian philosophers or skeptics talking about properly basic beliefs, but that's, that's something, again, Dale might uh, talk about. Um, so, yeah, I just I just for myself want to say, uh, don't be bullied by this idea of uh, in this false dichotomy of scientism versus non-scientism. That's not your term. It's theirs. You don't have to own it. Um, you know, be- believe in the methods that you find uh, reliable. And if someone wants to give you another method for epistemology, make them explain what it is and how it works. Uh, and so that's that's pretty much all I demand there. And uh, with that, Matthew, uh, make your case. Take as much time as you want to to make your counter case. And then, uh, Andrew, you can kind of bookend it with uh, a similarly short statement. Matthew, go. Right. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. And I think this is my first official guesting on Skeptics oh, okay. and Seekers. Uh, I, I have obviously featured on the other round tables, so I feel honoured. So thank you very much. Take, it would have been uh, nice. Matt, Matt uh, take, take some time to, because I made the mistake with Andrew, but uh, yeah, take, take some time to introduce yourself and plug your projects and that sort of thing for just in case, because we do have new uh, listeners this season that might not know about you from the roundtable. So, yeah, take a, a couple minutes to introduce yourself. Okay, all right. Well, thank thank you for that, Dale. So, um, yes, my, my first time as an official guest, uh, and, and it would have been nice if my two cheerleaders had jumped out of a cake-waving pom-poms, but I guess I, I can't have uh, everything. Uh, but, yes, in terms of what I do, so I podcast with I, Andrew. I did. I don't know what Andrew did, but, I mean, I... <laughs> oh yeah you might have your on your nose we'll have to sort that out later <laughs> if your new listeners see me jump out of a cake they won't be listening next season so it's that's why they're listeners <laughs> um yes yeah, so i um got involved with andrew and david on the still unbelievable book project which i hope all our listeners are aware of if not that's some homework for you go and read it and uh, following on from that i podcast with andrew over at ask an atheist anything and uh, occasionally also on the still unbelievable podcast andrew and i do have an exciting announcement uh, to make uh, very shortly this month or not this month next month within the next couple of weeks uh, for a new project that we're kicking off uh, in the new year which again will be podcast based so uh, that is me i'm not going to shut up i enjoy talking i enjoy the sound of my own voice obviously i'm right because i'm english and um i think that is all you need to know about know about uh, myself so go find the podcasts uh, Go and listen. Um, so uh, the response uh, here, firstly, 
I do have a, a partial agreement uh, with Dale, and it's, it's only partial. And after that, we we part ways on pretty much uh, everything. So, where I agree with Dale is on on where somebody knows absolutely nothing; they are uh, f- fully ignorant. Presented with options, they have no way of determining the difference between those options, so they have no choice but to assign equal probability from their perspective for each of those options. The point I would make is that choice and and that uh, assignment of probabilities is purely from their perspective and their perspective only, and it is purely due to their ignorance, their, their lack of knowledge. And the whole point of deciding which one is right is to uh, accumulate knowledge and in order to eliminate some those which are genuinely improbable in order to find out which one is the most probable. So the whole point of uh, coming at something with an open mind is to increase your knowledge to by whichever means is most appropriate so that you can eliminate some items from your list of choices so you can find out which is uh, the one that is... Um, likely or almost probable. So the point of ignorance is not the place where anybody wants to be or, or should be. So there is no glory uh, and uh, nothing to be uh, promoted in being the ignorant person who can't tell the difference between your options. The whole point is you uh, accumulate knowledge, you look for knowledge by whichever means is the most appropriate so that you can make the right right choice. So and it's at this point really that I part ways uh, with Dale because I, uh, from that point onwards, I see no glory uh, and uh, in having ignorance because if I want to know about something, the last person I would ever go to to find out about that thing is somebody who is ignorant of it. I, I think that's a statement that pretty much anybody would agree with. You want the knowledge so that you can eliminate the impossible and the improbable. And that is why we need to ask questions like, are, are miracles uh, likely or, or probable? And and that is where we go into looking at knowledge. Can we do a test about them? Can we... Um, uh, can we examine claims and find out what's going on? And what we do find in the practicalities of, of life is when these things start boiling down to the nuts and bolts and the details is we find that uh, pretty much in every single case, we've been able to explain uh, naturally what has gone on. And in those cases where we haven't been able to explain naturally what's gone on, we have a, a gap in knowledge, which means we can't actually say for certain what's happened. All we know is that we don't actually actually know all, all the facts involved. And um, again, to assign miracle to those things is you're doing it on the basis of ignorance, not on the basis of knowledge, because where we do know, we know it's not a miracle. So that is the justification to which I would say that uh, miracles are improbable because we've just got no case of them ever happening. Now, I know at the top of this program, Dale has said that he just wants to establish the probability uh, of miracles, he doesn't want to talk about them having actually happened. But I don't think those two things can be separated. I think you can only know if something is probable by looking at events where that thing is claimed and by testing for it, and then you know. That is how, let's go to medicine. Uh, now, that is how we know certain medicines are more likely to work than others because those that we know that are more likely to work, we know 
because they've been seen to work, we've been able to test them, we've been able to, to e examine them. And those that we know are least likely to work is, again, is because we've tested them and we know that they don't work in those circumstances and other ones do. And that is how we know with medical interventions what is probably likely to work and what isn't. We don't do it on any basis of ignorance. And where we do have ignorance, we do trials so that we can find our knowledge. So going back to the, the miracle thing, going from a state of claiming what is probable and what isn't probable, you can only do that by having a history of examination, a history of tests, a history of events in which you can uh, measure probability and as I said where we know that with good knowledge we know that it's natural where we don't have good knowledge those are the areas where miracles are asserted but we don't have full knowledge so we can't know therefore it is quite uh, appropriate to say that they're they're not probable and that is uh, my position um, so moving on, Dale knows that I'm not a fan of the, the scientism uh, discussion and I, I want to minimise what I say about that as much as possible. So I'll, I'll leave it to just this and I'm going to quote a very famous sporting phrase, the best defence is a good offence. And that is why we see the scientism uh, prong being jabbed at scientists constantly from theists in areas like this. It's because they can't defend their own claims so they go on the attack and they're attacking science and that is what's going on on there and I'll, I'll basically just leave it uh, at that and um, there was one more thing that I wanted to say and um, yes the, the other thing I want to say is uh, it's on the subject of um, uh, of medicine and where we, we see miracles it's not a coincidence that the area where we see the most miracle claims is in areas like medicine because that is an area where our knowledge is incomplete our knowledge is constantly changing as we learn new things through the scientific message through objective test and measurement through natural means we our knowledge is experiencing and sometimes previous assumptions are overturned due to our increased knowledge but we still have lots that we don't know that things happen in medicine regularly that we don't have a full explanation for or things happen that are unexpected and hey presto this is the area where we see the vast majority of miracle claims where don't we see miracle claims we don't see miracle claims in stock control because it's an objective numbers game people go into stock control and they count what's there and then they sell a few bits and they go and count what's wrong and if there's a mismatch they go and work it out did something get broken did someone undership or or overship etc you don't see people going oh it's a miracle i've now got an extra 20 packets of cigarettes on my shop floor that i didn't have yesterday you don't hear that because that's not where people go i work in uh, computer coding if the program isn't working properly i don't say it's a miracle it's not working properly i go into the code and i go and find out what i did wrong and i fix it or if i do some coding and it works first I, my users might say it's a miracle but i don't say it's a miracle it's because i'm awesome uh, but you see in areas like that where things are objective where you do some coding you compile it you run out the computer it happens be, the computer does what it's done because the code has told it what to do it doesn't do it because it's a miracle and we don't see claims in areas like that of miracle and so again what we're seeing here is we're seeing miracles being assigned to areas of ignorance and that is not a good thing i 
I just can't, I'm going to use that word, I just can't respect an area where lack of knowledge is seen as something to uphold because it doesn't get us anywhere. It opens the door to any and every claim, none of which can be confirmed. And I, it's, and that is where miracles live. And I just don't think that's something to, to be admired. And that's really the summary of what I want to put forward. Okay, thank you, Matthew. Uh, and now a brief word from Andrew, who will refute the notion that there is no such thing as demonic code. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, I won't. <laughs> no, no, computers wait too long. Uh, there, there, may, there, may well, there may well be demonic code uh, lurking somewhere out there. Okay, so I guess the first thing I want to do is ask the audience to, uh, to play along with an experiment about equal probability because one of the things, uh, one of the examples that Dale has used, and um, Dale, this is not intended as a jab at you, but uh, to go right at the example, uh, you said that if we're out in, uh, if we're out in uh, deepest, darkest Africa and, uh, and we hear footsteps uh, and we don't know what the footsteps are, we're uh, justified in thinking uh, that it is equally likely that it's a, uh, a horse, a donkey, or a unicorn. In, insert whatever hoofed animals there you, you wish, because I may have, I may have misstated the, the three that you used. So let's, uh, uh, do, can we all agree that you guys cannot see me? Now, yeah. None of you can see me at the moment, right? No. Okay. And, and is it fair to say that, that none of you guys know how I prepared for this show? Does, does anybody know yeah. the preparation that I went through? No. Okay. You brushed your teeth, possibly? Uh, yeah, oh, po yeah. Well, possibly. It's, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, actually, uh, I actually went out and did a little digging around, and um, I want you guys to hear this. This is important. So. Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's quite clear. Okay. So now there are one of three possibilities for what that sound was. One of the possibilities is that it was uh, my pet dog, Luna, chewing a piece of paper. The second possibility is that it was uh, me just crumpling a piece of paper. The third possibility is that I actually found a unicorn wandering through the neighborhood um, while I was preparing for the show. And that was actually a unicorn chewing on my notebook. Now, does anyone actually think that those three things are equally possible? No. Of, no. of course you don't. No. Of, of course you don't. Because the only known unicorn in existence is right here next to me. Uh, okay, so, so I want to take this a step further, though, because, and Matthew and I didn't prepare for this together, but when we talk about equal probability, um, one of the things that we've got to be saying is that if a miraculous event is equally as possible as a natural event, then we should be able to investigate them equally. So I'll just ask this of our listeners. Is there a school of miracles where someone can go and uh, learn the theology necessary and the uh, prayers necessary and the clothing that is required and the posture that is used 
to perform a miracle, given that we can all agree that Christians have made the claim in the past that they can do miracles. Well, the answer to that is probably no among this crowd. And if it's not, then we can stop this show right here by simply having a miracle done, and we can have a different conversation. But we are not on grounds where it is equally likely that the natural is true and that the supernatural is also equally likely true. If, if I tell someone that they can learn how to do something uh, like coding in uh, C Sharp or Python or Java or Ruby on Rails, pick your language, it doesn't matter. Um, I can lead them to the resources necessary to reproduce the work required to gain that skill. We cannot do that, as far as I know, with miracles. And by the way, if, you're, if you have a miracle school where people can come and pay tuition to learn to do miracles, well, we can have a very different show. And to tag on to that, my, uh, <clears throat> my last statement in, in bookending this whole thing. Uh, I'm a guy that has one eye. I've had one eye since I was old, 18 or 19 months old. I've been to faith healers who have failed. But if you're the kind of Christian that believes in miracles, well, get in touch. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I'll say any prayer. I'll uh, consume any diet. I'll read any book. I'll participate in any uh, religious ceremony. If you think you can do the magic to restore this eye, because we're not actually talking about, we're not actually talking about a thing that is equally likely. If it were equally likely that a natural event and a supernatural event um, were, were the same, if, if, if these things were equally likely, my inbox would have been flooded years ago to answer this particular challenge. And, and make no mistake about it, I've been offering this challenge since 2015. I've been offering it for the last four years on every board, in every podcast where the subject came up, thousands, probably tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of people have heard this exact challenge. So if you think miracles are equally likely and you're the kind of person that thinks humans can do miracles, let's get on with having a different show. That's my bookend day. Okay, so uh, the pudding is sufficiently egged. Shall we have some conversation between Matthew and Dale? I think we shall. Dale, you've heard a lot of stuff here over the last few minutes, and uh, you made a case um, in the beginning. So I think the way uh, this might be interesting to proceed is to have you, uh, for a few minutes, uh, question uh, Matthew. Uh, you've made some statements in your statement. Maybe you'd like for Matthew to clarify. Let's give you five or ten minutes to just uh, question Matthew freely, and then we'll uh, we'll reverse the we'll reverse that. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, I was writing notes for for everyone there. But okay, that's fine. But okay. let's let's start with Matthew. I'm sure I can answer for them if I need to. Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> all you have to do is take enough oxycontin to answer for me. 
that will be a miracle. If you, if you can. So, so one of the so so Matthew, um, this is something that that David said, but it does reflect on you as well because I I know how much you uh, like I said I've I've always I've never forgotten um, your reaction when I um, on the still unbelievable book. Um, this was before I ever knew you or anything. I just knew you as an author, and you you told me how much you hate science scientism and and uh, that label um, and that sort of thing and, and David's mentioned he doesn't like the labels because there are various dangers with them but I have a fundamental dis, dis I like the la the labels are helpful the way I see them is that they they are good for giving us a start when when you say things that correspond to a label helpful terminology gives us an initial stance of okay you you believe that science is the most authoritative discipline that corresponds to weak scientism I have some sort of sense of where you're coming from then I can pro then I can look to you on an individual level where do you deviate from that position versus not uh, or what you know what other tenets of weak scientism do you agree with uh, which ones do you disagree with so in terms of an initial stance giving labels is is a helpful thing so long as we're not dogmatic you know and it's just because David might or just because you might believe in some aspects that fall under the term scientism and then I go okay well you you obviously cater to scientism um, as long as I don't become dogmatic and say well that necessarily means you you believe in everything that that teaches I can probe you and say well do you agree with this as well do you do you not agree with that um, would you agree that there's any any use in in using the these labels or terminology that could be helpful for dialogue? Helpful in the sense that uh, if the label is used to clarify a position, my uh, complaint about the scientism label is it's a label used mostly by theists at people who are asking for scientific evidence as a tool to either ridicule or undermine the position that they hold so that they can therefore elevate their unevidenced position to become more acceptable. And that is why I really, really dislike the whole conversation around scientism, because it's not used as an, in, by, as an intention to clarify understanding so that dialogue con can continue. It's used to ridicule and dismiss the the other person's positions so that the unevidenced position can be elevated in the eyes, in the ears of the audience. Fair enough. Um, okay. It's a guerrilla tactic, basically. It's not an honesty tactic. Well, I, I, I don't think you can use, so the very reason you, you don't like, okay, so yeah, so I would disagree with that, right? That's just that's not my method of using it. Um, but in all honesty, there is, I do use it sometimes with some skeptics um, to ridicule a position, not if not if they're asking for scientific evidence, that, that's cool. Okay. Do you have scientific evidence to prove this? No? Well, okay, well, do you have other evidence? Um, that attitude is cool, but I do think that there is an attitude where it's like, do you have scientific evidence? Uh, no, but I, I have other evidence. Uh, oh, the other evidence doesn't matter. Only the, if you don't have scientific evidence, it didn't happen. That does deserve ridicule, and that does deserve because that's illogical, right? That that's the point of my 
my refuting this notion of scientism, that 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 assumption is wrong. And, and that's what I think we're trying to attack it. We're trying to say, like, open up your mind to other evidences. Stop just saying, no, science alone is the only way to adjudicate this matter. Um, so yeah, if I'm asking you a question, like, would you would you agree um, that it's it's okay to to ask for scientific evidence? It would be great if we had scientific evidence for everything. Um, awesome, so much the better. But you you can't be rigid to only scientific evidence is the only thing that'll convince me. Okay, could we agree on that? Sorry, can you just phrase that again? I want to get it clear in my head. Um, yeah. So so um, would you agree that? Providing scientific evidence for a supernatural miracle or something isn't isn't the only way, the only valid type of evidence that one can use to establish a miracle. I would need to know what the other evidence is uh, and, and methodologies are, which was going to be one of the questions that uh, I ask you specifically. I think it's probably the best way, but I would want to know what those other evidences are. The only way of gathering uh, the evidence that I'm aware of that really works is science. But if you've got another way of gathering it, by all means, let's have it. Sure, there's a lot of history, for, for example, right? Like this was my, uh, so I'm asking questions. Um, okay, for, forget about miracles for a second. Do, do you, well, would you minute, hang, hang on, just as a moderator, I want to clarify what you just said there. Uh, uh, Matthew said that he would want to know, you know, what other way you mean, and you mentioned history, are you, and, and you There's kind of moved on to it quickly. Uh, so I just want to clarify, are you saying that you believe that history as a method is as reliable as uh, hard sciences? You're stealing my questions, but carry on. Okay, and, 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 yes, uh, and since I, I'm stealing, do you, do you see, do you recognize a difference between what people call hard science and soft sciences? Yeah, social sciences are soft, um, hard. I think even biology is a soft science as well, technically, like where the hard sciences are chemistry, physics, you know, the fundamental particles and that sort of thing, uh, quantum mechanics. Um, and, yeah, the, and yet you're saying they're equally uh, reliable. Yeah, yeah, and some. So it depends because you're gonna. For example, would you say archaeology is? I'm, a hard I'm, I'm stepping I'm out looking? of it right now. I'm just. I just oh. wanted to clarify that for the audience, and uh, Matthew can pick up because I wasn't clear myself on what you were saying there. Yeah. So, so it is true. Look, historical evidence can overwhelm science, and and does so all the time. And the most notable method is the carbon fourteen or something like that. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I know I'm supposed to be asking questions. So, like. Uh, Okay, so do you, do you want me to answer you or, or ask it in the form of a question? If, if you like. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make this your last question slash speech, and then we'll turn it over to Matthew to uh, question you. Oh is, oh, is it? Oh, well, then that's... Well, no, 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 just, just for this round. Just, just for this round. Okay. You'll, you'll have more opportunities to... Okay, so... To okay, so, so on this thing. So, so Matt... Um, isn't it true that um, historical evidence 
can and has overrided scientific evidence, um, for example, on the dating. Um, so historians, for example, can look at a piece of writing and they, they know enough about the socio-historical context from studying documents and witnesses of the time. Um, there were no uh, vowels or formal punctu uh, punctuation. Mark. Okay, well, here's an example. So in English didn't become standardized until the year 1729. Uh, that's when we get our, our formal way of we, where we write and, and there's no uh, you know standardized spelling and that sort of thing. If, if I look at a document that uses the letter F to represent S instead of, you know, an S like we do today, um, and Carbon-14 says uh, that, okay, no, I, I see what you're getting. Okay, so everything about the manuscript, the way it's written, the internal evidence, um, as well as external evidence attesting to the document is there, the style of writing is congruent to the writing of the time in the 1500s or the 800s AD, whenever the historians are saying the document was written. And we have one anomalous date from science. Carbon-14 says, no, this was written in the year 1830. Um, would you agree that there are times when historians in their professional capacity will say, no, the historical evidence outweighs and overrides this one data just because that's science. We know this document was not written in the year 1830. It was written in the 1500s or whenever. I think um, I think you really need to pick a, a specific real example, not a hypothetical, because all Carbon-14 could tell you is when the paper that the document is used to be written on uh, was uh, uh, was manufactured. It wouldn't be able to tell you the date at which the document was written on the paper. So the, your question is misformed in terms of comparing writing to a date from carbon-14. So I think really you need a an actual example, not a hypothetical. Well, Matthew, if I no, might, just for a second on carbon-14. This, I think this is important for the audience. Uh, and I will, I'll try not to interrupt over this kind of thing much, but um, carbon-14 uh, dating, as do all dating methods, have a margin of error. And so if you're appealing to carbon-14 dating to date uh, any kind of document, even in a hypothetical case, um, you need to be careful to state what the margin of error is for that dating method so that you can determine whether the the two dates that you're trying to analyze by carbon-14 or any other dating method fall in or outside of the margin of error. And so I think I'm going to loudly agree with Matthew that you've got to pick a real example and you've got to talk very specifically about the dating method that you're wanting to use uh, so that the listeners can make some real assessment about whether this this dating that they're being asked to consider, um, you know, whether the method you're applying is the right method to apply. And and right now, I don't get the sense that's being done. 
Right. So I'm, I'm avoiding specific examples. And I've given dozens on this show. Just look at our Shroud Wars debates, where I, I give dozens of secular examples, where archaeologists, I've given quotes from the world's experts, secular, non-Christians. Um, so I, I've done that. And I, I could do that. Um, but my my worry is, okay, so I, are you guys, I'll give, I'll give one example, but before I do that, are, are you guys saying that you guys are just un, blissfully unaware that there has ever been an example where historians and archaeologists have said, nope, the carbon-14 is wrong. Uh, we know that this dates thousands of years earlier than what the C-14 says. Since you asked that question, I will... Uh, go ahead and step in. I was actually waiting for someone to ask yeah. it so that I didn't science so that isn't with... So here's here's the deal. I think that uh, this is one of the areas where I would say you are uh, maybe confusing and creating a false dichotomy with what science even is. So I hope there's some discussion about that. I don't, you know, I'm happy to call history a soft science. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't actually have the kind of antagonism toward history that that you seem to think, but it is a soft science. And part of science, and, and this comes through with your carbon fourteen example, part of science is error, error recognition, and error correction. The, these things are part of how we observe and refine uh, our knowledge. And so to say, well, we used science doesn't mean that we didn't make a mistake, but it means that we have mechanisms by which we can recognize and then correct mistakes. Uh, so the same would apply to history, too. You have to recognize that there are errors that happen in history and there, you know, we have to have error uh, correction methodology and so forth. And so I'd still say on a balance uh, of, of what we know, the, the errors that we get in history are greater than, than pure laboratory science, and the methods for correcting those historical errors are less reliable. So we're all talking, we're still talking about the spectrum of what is science when you're talking about history. We're just talking about the most reliable uh, use of science to get uh, the particular answer we're looking for. So when you when you mention history in this way, I don't actually think that you're creating the kind of antagonism between science and some other method that you think you're creating. Well, I, I am if you're being technical uh, and you're being precise. But if you, if you're going to equivocate and say that well, history isn't its own discipline; it's actually a science. Sure. Well, okay. Well, philosophy is a soft science then. So there we go. It's 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 actually no. It's a, it's a hard science. It's harder than everything because logic is a first order discipline of philosophy, not science. Fine. Philosophy, and we, and we so, can have so, that discussion. Maybe you and Matt can have that discussion of what what is science and how how maybe you rank the various sciences. But at the end of the day, you're still arguing science, not no. magic. No. Okay, so there's no such thing as science then. Science is philosophy. Everything is philosophy then. I, I can just arbitrarily define it that way. And that's the way it's historic. Science was known as natural philosophy um, back in the day, back in Isaac Newton's day, for example. And, and I'm, I'm just, just going to let Dale and Andrew step in and answer the question that you originally asked, though, because I don't want that to get lost. And so that's the question that I was answering for the audience. Oh, okay. And, and for, for Andrew, I, I was hoping that you guys would just say, like, yeah, yeah, it's obvious there, there are countless examples where evidence from a so-called – from history, whether you want to call that a science or not, it, it overrides more hard data, you know, like – 
carbon-14 dating. And there are examples that, that's, of Egyptian That's a statement too. that sounds like it needs uh, justification, Dale. Countless examples of something overriding what has been evidentially uh, discovered. There, there was an Egyptian mummy. They, they carbon dated the wrappings, and it was carbon dated to be a thousand years earlier um, from when it was historically known, based on all the historical evidence of the um, Egyptian chronology. We have an entire wall with Egyptian chronology in it. There's some pr problems with it. Um, we have artifacts from around it that are indicative of who this uh, mummy's wrappings belong to and, and uh, we can tell it corresponds with our external knowledge of that period in Egyptian history uh, in terms of the writing and the objects that are there um, and no one denies that yeah carbon 14 screwed up uh, there is an error that occurred because of it so do you have a reference uh, to that or name there? Because I'm not finding uh, uh, any news articles about that. Right. So I'll also, a thousand I'll years sounds like the kind of range that would be because a carbon dating range would cover more than a thousand years. So I'm already questioning the facts about what you've said because a thousand years sounds like something that would fall within the the error bars of a carbon dating date because you don't get a precise date with carbon dating; you get a range. Yes, if I'm typing into Google. Uh, carbon dating was a thousand years wrong on Egyptian mummy. I'm not getting any items come up uh, with that. I think so 14's I, error bar is plus or minus 200 years. So you're talking about a 400 year yeah. span on the center point. So, so I'm, I'm trying to fact check your claim here, Dale, and I'm, it's, I'm, it's, I'm failing. So I, 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 I need something saying, that's, that's yeah, specific. Well, yeah, I've provided sources. Go and look at my Shroud shows. I'm not going to do it now, here and now. Um, I don't have that in front of me, but I will. Well, you've, you've, you've made an a claim that I can't verify, so at this moment in time, I, I can't accept it as being a true claim. Can I just ask what's being, Sudarium uh, what's be being argued car, here? Because if, well, if, if science is wrong, okay, fine. We had a, we had a, let's say let's say you've got ten thousand cases. Let's say you've got a hundred thousand cases. Let's let's say you, you, every case of science that has ever been made is wrong. What is what is the center of your argument after that? I'm the point of my argument is arguing against scientism. I'm saying that it's not a one way street, and that historians override one single scientific data point. Um, all the time, um, based on having firmer knowledge through his, the historical method or archaeological techniques. That's, I, I, would, I, would, are you, are you I would be a little bit confused here, too, because none, none of the skeptics on this panel that I am aware of and none of the skeptics in our audience that I'm aware of deny that history is a legitimate uh, field of study. Are you? You seem to be equating that to miracles, though, because this claims That's my that concern miracles too. is possible and plausible. And so, if we can say, you know, the soft sciences are equal to the hard sciences, that's that's one argument that I, I mean we could have, and I think you're wrong. But it's not what we're really debating here. So, if you can say sometimes it is, it is gives an us a better 
uh, a better understanding than the laboratory, I wouldn't even waste time arguing <laughs> against that. I just try to figure out how you were linking that to sometimes a miracle is a, as good of an explanation as a laboratory. And can I ask on the back of that, Dale, are you saying that there has never been a time, because I think I'm detecting some special pleading here, are you saying that there's never been a time where science uh, demonstrated history to be wrong? Is that the position you're holding? Of course not, no. Oh, okay. Then now I'm even more confused. It's a, it's a two-way street. I'm arguing against scientism, and and history is not a science. So my, my point here is totally apart from miracles. I'm trying to get you to go, well, if, if, if it's a two-way street for some disciplines, then my point is, well, it's the same for philosophy. Philosophy can be used, uh, you know, through logical argumentation and that sort of thing, can be used to override and inform the conclusions that scientists or science has come up with. How, how do you define science? Uh, you say, you're saying history is not a science and that this becomes, this seems like a, a hill that you're willing to die on here. I don't want anyone dying on any hills on this podcast. But I, I would simply argue that history does use methodology uh, that I would consider scientific. It's not exactly beakers and uh, centrifuges, but it is observation, and uh, we're looking at actual hard evidence, and oftentimes we're putting that hard evidence in the lab, and we're using uh, archaeology, and we're using all sorts of things that can be observed to make uh, deductions about what has happened. I mean, we're not we're not doing using crystal balls to do history we're, we're doing as much science that is available to to do history so i'm not i'm not sure it's, what it's you're not, why you're yeah. why you're saying that history is such, this this wholly other endeavor because that's it is it, it there's the historical method it it, there, it doesn't follow a scientific method now there is no the scientific method i've argued with you before about the eclectic model uh, there, there's no such thing as science, um, one size fits all. There are vastly different uh, way, methodologies, plural, in terms of how scientists do their job. Some of them, they don't do observe in astrophysics or, or that sort of thing all the time. There, there are things that are wholly unobserved. So, you know, you, you can't just use a but lazy But unless creature. we're saying that the historian oh, 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 oh. is using magic or miracles, then I, I don't, I fail to understand the, the thrust of your example here. Because, because historians I, I, I think I understand what I was trying to do. Okay, go ahead. Well, my, my first, are, if, if you make everything that is not miracles science, then uh, I'm, is philosophy science, no. in your opinion? Why, why does that, why does history get incorporated with science? Is philosophy, philosophy a miracle? Is, is, well, wait a minute. I, I think, I'm not there yet. is I'm philosophy gonna... a miracle? I, because no, you... it's not. Okay, okay. So we're talking about the plausibility of miracles. Right. So my first question was about scientism. Scientism is presented as a reason to say it's probably impossible that miracles occur. Um, so I was just trying to ask a couple questions on that to show that actually scientists... None of us are claiming the type of scientism that you have defined. Right. We're, we're, we're claiming, you know, naturalistic methods. I think all of us are doing that. And I think that history is a very naturalistic method. 
I think that philosophy is a very naturalistic method. It's not as uh, good at giving some answers in the laboratory, but it's still a naturalistic method. I don't, I don't see that as being a problem to use in some limited ways. So I don't see how, how introducing these things actually forwards your case, which I think is a more interesting proposition, uh, that it is equally possible, probable, um, plausible that a miracle is uh, is in fact because I wasn't allowed to get there. Right? Remember, okay. you said I, one more question, so I asked the first question, which was about labels. No problem. So we're gonna so we're gonna get to a, a place where you can directly address miracles. Then, um, but I, but I I want you to go ahead and give Matthew a chance to ask you some questions on this science and scientific portion of it, since we're here. And now that we've had some conversation, he, he understands that you're including things like history as a, as a way of saying, well, that's not science, but it's good. Or philosophy, that's not science, but we use that. So Matthew, has, has uh, Dale made his case here? What do, you, what do you have to say or ask Dale about this before we get whole hog into uh, the equal possibility of miracles? Um, okay. First of all, I just want to rephrase the the argument that you were that I believe you were making, Dale. So I can so you can validate that I understand you rightly and correct me if I if I don't. I think what you're trying to establish here is the I'll, I'll call it the hard the the evidential scientists sciences where we actually physically test something like carbon fourteen that you mentioned earlier, and I think what you're saying is the adherence to that. And that alone is scientism. And you, I think you're saying that's not a good thing because that can and has, in your own words, uh, been overridden by other things which are not quite so technical, you know, like historical sciences, dates on documents and things like that. Am I, am I kind of right on what you're trying to say here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I was, it it wasn't just about history. I, I was just using that as uh, an obvious example. But poetry, I don't think you guys would say that science. Uh, I I gain knowledge from. I don't read poetry personally, but someone uh, like Robert Parr, he loves poetry. He gains knowledge from reading poetry in a degree that is stronger than science and can actually override science if he if he has a properly basic belief, which is part of philosophy, right? So he has this phenomenological knowledge that reading this poem makes him happy. Um, Okay, you forced me to jump okay, as a moderator again. I, I just, just clarification. Did you just say you can gain uh, more knowledge from poetry than science? Can, can you provide an example? I just poetry? did, certain, in certain respects, right? Well, we I, can, yes, someone you say that again because I, I really missed that. Okay, so when if I read a poem that I really like, uh, and that makes me happy. I've gained phenomenological knowledge of my happiness that any and all science, I mean, who knows how there would be, let's pretend there was this contradictory science that says, actually, no, when you read this poem, you know, you give a study and, oh, well, most humans become sad when they read this poem or something. And uh, they try to make an argument that ev everyone gets a conclusion that this makes humans feel unhappy. Let's just pretend that was a, a scientific conclusion or something like that based on hard scientific data. 
I don't care what what that says. Well, I'm a human being. I'm not sad when I read this poem. So that I'm seeing that there are certain aspects that one can gain in differing disciplines that can actually be held in degrees higher than what we can get in science. And therefore, it's a two-way street. The uh, knowledge is knowledge, no matter how you obtain it. Um, okay, so, but yeah. can I ask you a question? Because um, I, I detect a, a bit of equivocation here, and I'm, I'm pretty concerned about it, and I guarantee you. Matthew and David have the same question as, as does a lot of uh, many people in the audience. So, if I read an art, uh, if I read a poem, so you were talking about Robert Park. If I read a poem uh, that claims that the moon is uh, made of green cheese or, or cream cheese, and uh, and I really like the poem and it makes me feel good and I gain some sort of phenomenological uh, knowledge about uh, the moon being made of cream cheese. Are you saying that that knowledge that the moon is made of cream cheese because I enjoyed the poem is more likely to be the case than the than the moon being made of uh, uh, of the elements that it's made of the regolith and rock and and whatever its core is and the the, the bit Swiss of ice water that's that, on the moon. Swiss, are you are you actually are you actually saying that this that is... kind of knowledge is stronger than so, the knowledge that we have of of the moon is it? Because if you're not then I don't know what you mean by stronger. And if you are, there appears to be an equivocation on knowledge. Right. So this is a beautiful example. It'll, it'll illustrate what I'm calling the two-way street, which is what my main argument is trying to get at here. Uh, both disciplines can use, be used to inform others. When you're provided with knowledge to stronger degrees, no matter how you get there, it can override. So. Are you saying, uh, yes, case, the moon is made of cream cheese, if I read a point and says it? Yeah, I'm getting there. Just let me. So what I said with my example, I have phenomenological experience that this poem makes me happy in the 100% degree. I don't, I don't care if you present me scientific studies and hard data that says, no, look, all humans, we've concluded all humans get sad when they read this poem because we've done, you know, hard science in some way, surveys and that sort of thing, and we've come up with this conclusion. Again, it, it's a ridiculous thing. No scientist would, would make this argument, but I'm just trying to illustrate. Let's pretend there was based on these surveys. Therefore, it, it's more humans get sad when they eat this. Well, I, when they read this, I'm a human and I got happy. I don't care what your scientific data says. My phenomenological knowledge outweighs that. Now, likewise, in, the, in terms of the question of the moon being made of cheese, no, the knowledge from science is actually proven to be reliable, whereas reading a poem and liking it is not is an unwarranted way. Therefore, you don't have knowledge that what the composition of the moon is just because you like a poem. So science is a reliable way to tell me the composition of the moon. Therefore, that overrides an argument, a fallacious argument based on saying, well, I like a poem that says the moon's made of cheese. So that's a two-way street. So I don't know what you mean by stronger. Right, so so that's what I was saying here. I and then I'm going back on mute after this, guys. But this is this is actually the heart of the problem that I have in your statement. Yeah. And after this, Matthew, we uh, we want to get back to your question. Yes. So uh, this is this is the heart of the problem that I have with your statement. I think um, you've been insufficiently precise about defining uh, domains of knowledge in regard to uh, these phenomenon that you're, that you're describing. And in the case where I actually created an example, uh, having to do with science and the knowledge of science and claims of a poem against the knowledge of science, you said, yes, science would be superior. So I, I don't know what we mean 
uh, at this point by this phenomenological experience uh, being better than, and, and by the way, when I say science here for the listeners, I just mean empirical data. And I think the rest of this is just silly talk. It's, uh, it's more science denying. Um, but if you're, if you're saying that this phenomenological uh, knowledge that we have is better than the empirical data that we have, okay, that's a conversation to have. Okay. Matthew. Um, <laughs> Yeah, where was I? Okay, so I was restating your argument back to you, you Dale, and you said I, I was essentially there on, on what you're saying in terms of the, so, and then I think where the whole distraction thing came up was about uh, uh, writing on a document, um, um, what's the word, contradicting what a carbon-14 date would say, and I, I think the reason why I push back and say we need something specific on that is we we do when we're going to have a conversation like this. It, it is it's not good enough to me to say uh, that there are numerous there are countless examples of this, and here's a hypothetical that uh, that demonstrates that there are countless examples. I want to know a very real example because I while this conversation is going on, I've tried searching for one of these countless examples where historical data is overridden, uh, carbon-14 dating, and I just can't find one. So uh, I need a specific example that, that I can address because there's a problem here where with making a claim that that can't uh, be established. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, be fair to, to everybody here. Now, accusing me of, and I'm not saying you are, but just say, for example, you then accuse me of being, uh, of scientism because I'm refusing uh, to accept what you say and I'm instead relying on hard data. That That's just a, attacking me from being, uh, un, being unable to replicate results. Um, and this is part of my problem with uh, finger pointing on, on scientism. It's a, it's a distraction from the, the real issue. It's, you know, it's attacking instead of uh, defending. Um, sorry, I'm on a little parenthesis here. What I want from you is the data that demonstrates uh, miracles are plausible, attacking the method that you think I use for for testing events doesn't establish the plausibility of miracles. It just, all it is, is you attacking the way I'm doing it. What I want is for you to, to defend and support your position, not attack my position. So anyway, so that's the aside. Um, so in, in terms of, so let's expand that hypothetical a bit. There's a letter that's written. Okay, let's use a real example that I've got upstairs. Um, I've got in my loft books that have belonged to my grandparents. Um, at least one of them has got a date in it that's more than 100 years ago. And it's written in there and it's got a person's name and it's got a date. Now, that date falls within the lifespan of the person whose name is written in the book. So I I can conclude that the, the name of the person who's in the book is the person who wrote that message and that date was written by them because it falls with, within their lifetime. Carbon-14 value on that book will span a period of time between now and I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, but it will span a wide period of time which would incorporate the date that is written in that book. So there's no way that that book 
could possibly override a carbon-14 date on there because the granularity of the the two values just aren't specific enough. So this is why I pushed back on on that specific, on the hypothetical that you're pushing for me. And and I'm not really engaging. I I think I know what it is you're trying to say. You're trying to say that... um, uh, a hard science uh, value has been shown to be wrong. Therefore, when a hard science value says that it's implausible for miracles to be true, hard science can be wrong. Therefore, it's plausible that miracles come out. I think those are the steps you're trying to lead. But what you're working on there is you're working on a series of what ifs, maybes, possibly. And and that's not good enough because I'm an evidentialist. I, I want to see harder data than a what, a what if. So let's go to the book that I've got in, in the loft. Um, if somebody was to come up with, I'm, I'm trying to think uh, on my feet here, so please, please forgive me. If somebody was to come up with a way of proving that uh, the the person whose name is written on the book can't be the can't match with the date. I'm trying to think of a, a way in which I could maybe the printers who who printed the book uh, came and said actually this edition of the book could never have been printed uh, on the date that's written in the book. It could only have been printed 50 years later. Let, let's say that that that, that happens. Um, and uh, they've got documentary evidence. What we've got there is we've got hard science facts there they're saying this is the edition of the book and it's this edition of the book because of this set and the other and these are the dates that we printed the book so we would be going straight back to to hard evidential sciences so what would happen then is the dates would be overwritten i hope i'm making sense here um so or um we could say at actually the 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 um so I'll, so what we would then have to conclude is that the date that's written in the book is is wrong there's been a mistake uh, made there or maybe we could go back to the printers and say have you not made a mistake in your your accounting or the printing so um that's kind of where i'd come back on that so and again this is why i struggle with the the scientism argument because uh, it's distracting from from the from the task at hand, it's trying to sow doubt where where um, where doubt doesn't rightly exist. Um, so, my question to you, Dale, and please be as as specific as you possibly can, is: Is there a specific miracle case that can be shown with anything that evolves around scientific data? in the way in which I'm talking about it that can be tested. Because when I talk about science, what I mean, so I should have clarified this right at the beginning. When I say science, I really mean the scientific method. And by a scientific method, I mean something that can be tested or, or validated or confirmed by a separate and independent means. Yes. Uh, again, it, so I think that you guys are totally misunderstanding me. And this is why I'm... I'm not happy with the way this is going. It's, it's you guys are just not getting it, and you're getting sidetracked on on issues that are 
irrelevant. Like I don't need to demonstrate anything. It's it's totally separate what my blog is about here. We're going to be doing a future show where I try to demonstrate that. Yes, everyone knows I believe that the Shroud of Turin is a Ghibli authenticating event. I believe the Resurrection is an example, a provable example of a Ghibli authenticating event. Um, but that doesn't matter in terms of my my argument this week. Um, they're, they're not linked in that way. Just understand that any confusion that we might be demonstrating, A, it's an honest confusion, and B, it's a confusion that uh, members of the audience are likely to have too. So feel free to correct us in our understanding and um, re-explain what it is you are trying to say versus what you're not. Yeah, what you're trying to suggest, Dale, if, if I can jump in, is that you're basically trying to push forward that miracles are plausible and it's plausible to accept that miracles exist or have happened or, sorry, it's plausible to accept that miracles could happen. That it's equally possible um, because if you guys, I don't mind using the word plausibility as synonymous as that for, for the purposes in this blog, but if by plausibility you're saying I can prove on a balance of probabilities that they are in fact possible, um, the point of my blog was not, is, is most emphatically not to, to do that. Because, and and why, why do I do this? Why, why did I do a show with you guys on the burden of proof um, and that sort of thing? Why, why do I first, I, I think it's so important to understand what that we start as a blank slate as much as possible. We, we don't just come in with these hidden assumptions when there's a fundamental difference of opinion. I, I think that starting as much as possible as a blank slate is the best way to do it. And then you can say, okay, Mr. Skeptic, uh, what reasons do you have to say that it's miracles are probably impossible? And this is where you can throw in your arguments. No one's demonstrated uh, one to be true with hard data. Uh, therefore, they're probably impossible because if they were possible, there would have been one that would have been demonstrated. That's an argument a skeptic can give and then I can refute that. Uh, that the skeptic bears the burden of proof to say that is a good argument and that it's true. Uh, in the same way, I'm saying the, sci the scientism is an argument. I'm not tr denying science at all. Um, I'm, I, you, you, did, you didn't get my argument correct in the way you characterize science, the scientism thing. Um, I, I, I just remember it wasn't correct the way you laid it out. That wasn't what I was arguing. Um, I'm just trying to say, look, that scientism as a reason um, not not denying science is a good method for obtaining knowledge. I'm just saying that scientism, as properly defined by the experts, by the people that define these things, if if you come up with your own definition, that's that's fine. Or if you have this all-inclusive definition of what counts as science, okay, what whatever. But I'm going by the fact that there are distinct disciplines, and they can be used to inform and correct other disciplines. It's not just science that is used as a one-way street. Okay, so uh, let, me, let me just jump in. David, can I ask a question? I, well, okay, I want to jump ahead. in and just a make a definitional too. clarification here. Because I don't want Dale to feel like we're strawmanning his argument. 
So I'm, I'm on Dale's side here, if that's how he feels. Uh, but I'm looking at Dale's argument. And one of the reasons I think there's some confusion, um, you know, and I want to make this clear, Dale wrote the blog. He wrote the title of the blog. He rewrote the title of the blog. And so just looking at the title of the blog, it is um, the, the plausibility of equal possibility, probability of miraculous, uh, I'm sorry, miraculous Refuting the skeptical, this is the important part, I think, here. Refuting the skeptical presumption of scientism slash naturalism. Now, none of us is making a skeptical presumption of scientism. But you also uh, yeah. say naturalism. And I think that most of us probably would say that we're naturalists, which is why I was asking earlier. Did, well, but even if you're talking about history and philosophy and logic, that's all natural, right? Uh, and so you're saying refuting the presumption of naturalism. So we could we could draw in those disciplines to our side of the argument here because it's all a part of naturalism. And what we're still waiting for from you is to say why we shouldn't uh, dismiss the miraculous as opposed to the natural. So never mind scientism. Um, because that's that's a dispute not worth having that nobody that nobody's claiming, but we we are I think claiming naturalism and we're in so you're saying but you should accept things other than naturalism, and so I think that's the case that um, that we need to hear and so if we can take a moment and reset, um, because for for your sake Dale because I understand your frustration here. Uh, I would like you to uh, take another stab and, and focus your case on why uh, something other than naturalism should be considered. It's it's so with the principle of in, indifference that it, this is why it's important to understand what this blank slate thing is all about. So I'm present naturalism in the same way that scientism is being presented by the skeptic by saying no miracles are probably impossible, and I, I'm as a blank slate saying well how do you know? It's like oh naturalism that's why that that's a reason you should think that they're probably impossible. Now on the other end a Christian theist can also bear a burden of proof to prove positively that um, they're probably possible, right? So that that's where someone would come in and say, well, I can prove God exists. And if God exists, then probably the supernatural is very probably the supernatural is possible. Um, or you can come up with um, some other way, such as using your modal evaluating faculties to say, well, I have a properly basic belief that unicorns are possible. They're logically possible. Therefore, if you consider unicorns a supernatural entity, then it's possible. Um, so th those are the two ways. If I were providing positive warrant to say, well, I know that these things are, are technically plausible or under the, the terms that I want to use, they're probably possible. But in the purpose of this blog, I'm in the blank slate position, and I'm trying to say that the skeptics, I'm trying to bring us back to the blank slate and say that the skeptics don't have reasons to say that the supernatural are probably impossible. That That's what I'm trying to So you're not defending the plausibility or equal possibility slash probability of mir mirac the miraculous. I am defending the equal possibility, and I'm, I, I say plausible. In my blog, I'm using it incorrectly to say that's the same as plausibility. That's a mistake. That's not technically precise. Throw out plausibility. You are saying you are making a positive claim that the miraculous is equally probable. 
Well, equally probable isn't a positive claim. That is the default state, right? That, Where I but isn't that a positive claim? That the miraculous is equally as possible as the natural? Yeah, that, that's the state everyone starts. Right? That, that's a positive claim, though, and I think that we could debate that. I just want to make sure I understand your claim because you accused us of not understanding your claim. And I'm just trying to dig down and make sure that we do understand your claim because I don't want to straw man your position. So I've got a I've got a question that fits here. Um, so Dale, if if we agree with you that there are uh, sources of knowledge other than what I think has been being wildly mischaracterized as as science uh, and and for nefarious purpose, um, but, you know. So if if you're saying that there are sources of information out there beyond empiricism. So, um, you know, we feel kindly toward each other because we're friends. And so maybe you don't uh, think that that's demonstrable from, um, uh, from an evidential perspective or at least an empirical perspective. Or if you say you love your mother or David loves his wife or, or whatever, you think uh, those aren't empirical claims. How do you see that getting us closer to the plausibility of miracles? I see it as, as removing skeptical claims uh, for, for providing warrant as to think that it's a priori implausible or probably impossible. I, I see it as that's that's the way we've got to start. Um, we've I got don't. to bring you guys back to this equal state where you don't know. And then, only then, I can say, okay, well, now I'm able to... Um, provide positive warrant but, to think that. Can I, I'd, I'd like to jump so, in there. So this is, can I, can I shut you up? Can I shut you guys up, please? Because yes. I, I just want to. Let's give Matt um, the floor, please. Yeah, because Dale, your position is the blank, the blank slate situation where all suggestions are of equal value. Is are we right there so far? All suggestions are equal are of equal value, um, or equal possibility, yeah, so. or equal probability. However, you want to phrase it. Yeah. Nothing, no, 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 no claim is, prejudi is has prejudicial whatever right. it is over another. In the blank okay. slate, and yeah. So and now there's a problem I have with the way you then go next, because and you've said it several times is you're trying to establish the plausibility of miracles by removing the bias of the skeptic. So this is where I had this quibble about scientism right at the beginning. Um, the, the tactic that's been done here is to attack the opponent, not to present the case for your, for your own position. And I really don't like that, that part uh, of the conversation. So I'm going to do my best to, to avoid, avoid that. So, but that bit I really don't like, and that's one of the reasons why I utterly detest the whole scientism conversation. So, but so let's go back to the blank oh, side. But so blank isn't it, I'm doing the same with natural. Like, why aren't you offended when I do that with naturalism or or any of your other, you know, the other? Because it all comes under the umbrella of of scientism, uh, effectively. Um, but it's but it is, and I do mean it the same because this is where we went in circles when we had John asking anything, say anything about probability, etc. I really don't want to get distracted uh, uh, by that. So let's go back to the blank slate uh, bit. So 
um, you're you're saying that we've got a blank slate and all options, whether they be natural or miracle, should be viewed equally uh, when when presented because it's um, uh, because we don't have any knowledge. So my question to the to you then is: when we've got these options and we don't know anything, so therefore, as far as we're concerned. Uh, they they are all uh, e- equally likely or equally plausible. How do we change that to know what actually happened? Right. So this is where you present evidences or reasons to favor one side or the other. And that's what I think scientism is for some skeptics. That's not for you. That's what I think naturalism is. And according So to- scientism now is a good thing because it allows us to get evidence to find out what is true. Well, it's presented. It's presented as a reason. It it could be a good thing if scientism was true, then that would be a reason to think that miracles or the supernatural are probably no, impossible. Dale, you're not answering my question. I'm saying you've got several options and you're a blank slate, so you need to find out which option is true. How do you eliminate the false and reveal what is true? What's the process you use? By presenting evidence and reasons to favor one position over the other. Okay. How do you find the evidence? Through various means. The best way is through logic, using logical reasoning. How do you know if your reasoning is logic? Cool. Right. So that's how do we know what the laws of logic are? Is through properly basic belief. Right? How do you know? How, how, okay. So. Uh, and they're self and they're self evident and that that's that isn't self evident to tautology if it's self evident it's self uh, confirming so you haven't got a how do you know that you haven't got yourself into um, uh, a false way of thinking because i have absolute knowledge that these law, logical laws are true so you know that you're right that it, therefore it's true yeah really and you think that's do you, uh, acceptable. You, you you don't want to validate that by any other method. You think it's good enough to be confident that you're right. It's good enough to have knowledge that you are correct about okay. the law. This is something that would overturn. This would be an example, specific example that would overturn quantum data that suggests, you know, people make conclusions that the logical law of non-contradiction is false in the quantum world. I say no, it's not. My so, where would you get the knowledge from that validates that you're right? Why do? So we're getting into epistemic foundations. We yes, we 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 are. We absolutely are. Okay, so we all start with this presupposition about the laws of law. No, no, we, we can't start there. We start as a blank slate, Dale. That's what you said. We're a blank slate. We know nothing. So you can't start with something. We're starting with a blank slate. Where do you get it from? A properly basic belief. So you're not starting as a blank slate then? You're starting with a belief of something? Right, with with that. But I could start as a that that is a reason to think. I can start as a blank slate. Are the law is the logical law of non contradiction true or false? I have a properly basic belief. That is a reason uh, that provides me with warranted a warranted true belief. That is a reason to say, yep, it's true. I I now. So your so your blank slate means that you already start with a belief that miracles are plausible. It 
depends what you, it doesn't mean that we're already, I'm starting with that for the purposes of this blog, but let's pretend we don't start. So you haven't, so you're not truly on a blank slate then, Dale. Right. That's why I said as much as possible, but let's start as a blank slate, right? Listen to my words. I'm a blank slate. I have. So does your blank slate mean you believe miracles are plausible? No. What is okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, but you've just thought you've, but you, when I started with the blank slate and ran you down, you stopped at properly basic beliefs, which is not a blank slate state. So, where do they come from? Where, where do they, at what point does the knowledge that this is a properly basic belief get applied if you're starting from a blank slate without that belief? It doesn't matter where they come from. I'm just saying we have this knowledge through this means. I think it does matter, though, because how can we be sure? How can we have any confidence in what we're getting to is the right conclusion if we don't care where the information comes from? We do. We are supposed to care, but I think it's off topic, right? You're, you're getting into this notion of how do we know that we have warrant and that sort of thing. And I'm yeah, I, absolutely, purpose- I am, and that's that's intentional because the the point that I'm trying to get to is when you go from a blank slate of not knowing which ones to eliminate to knowing which ones you have eliminated, you need to be able to justify every step of the way so that when you go back and retrace your steps, you know you've not made a mistake. And if you don't know where it's come from and you don't care where it's come from, you can't know that you've not made a mistake, can you? That's correct, but that's not my case here, right? And I've done That's my case. That's my case. My case is you can't know that you've not made a mistake. Therefore, the conclusion you come to is unsound. Okay, so so Matthew, according to Matthew, we should all be in the blank slate then and just perpetually there. No, absolutely not. My state is the blank slate should be rejected at every possible moment. And what my point is, if you can't justify the steps you make to reach your conclusion, you can't know that your conclusion is sound. And that's what I'm challenging you on. I want to know that your way, how you confirm that the steps you've made are sound. And you're you're telling me that you don't care. So let me let me let me just jump in. Saying, but D- David, let me say that I'm avoiding answering certain things. Like give, you know, where you probing me for a specific example where I've given them with sources, peer-reviewed sources in the shroud for the the scientists and thing. In this case, I've done shows with David where I am probed in depth about where where does warrant come from on a theist perspective, and I've done that in terms of an evolutionary or naturalist naturalist perspective. You're you're wanting to me to debate this again, again going into what's the definition of warrant. Elven planting is definition of warrant. That assumes theism is true because God is the one who designs our cognitive faculties. Well, so so I, I'm just assume. I get, yes, you, you can't just assume that, right? You have to get into that stuff, but I don't want to get into that in this show. Like, can't we just assume that the laws of logic are thing, right? So that's why I'm saying we're starting as a blank slate as much as possible. And obviously that's not realistic, but I'm trying to say that in terms of questioning, are miracles probably possible or probably impossible? Let's start as a blank slate and then present. We, we present the factors that we have supporting okay. one side or the other. So let, let, me, let me just jump in as a, as a moderator so that we don't uh, go around in circles. I, I would say, uh, Dale, part of the 
part of the challenge here with your argument. Uh, you can't just say, buy my book. Uh, pe- people listening haven't bought your book. They haven't read your book. Uh, they haven't read the, or, or listened to the, uh, you know, 100 hours of podcasting that, that we've done. Even I haven't heard all of the podcasting with your, your, your reasoning uh, on it. And so you, you can't just allude to, ah, I've answered that, uh, you know, a year ago. What, what's, what's the matter with you people? These are, these are, in fact, inevitable questions that both sides uh, will have. And so, you know, maybe we can include some links uh, to programs on things that you're not willing to talk about. But it's, it's not fair to suggest that the questions are invalid or, you know, somehow redundant um, to, to people who don't know them. And maybe some who have heard some of your answers simply don't fully understand them and need more clarification. So it's, it's, not a dishonest, it's not a dishonest question uh, to yeah. ask. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm, again, I'm sorry if you felt frustrated by that line of questioning, Dale. I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is um, we need to be able to account for all our steps from blank slate to final conclusion because if you, can't, if you can't account for all steps, then you can't know that you've made a mistake. So that's why I was pushing back on that. And that's why I pushed hard when you said you fell back on properly basic beliefs because that's not a blank slate. So I've got... And I I agree. In in terms of your point, you are absolutely correct. So yeah, I I do agree with that. Okay. Would it be helpful because I prefer in conversations like this to talk about specifics because I think sometimes hypotheticals and generalities don't necessarily help the conversation. So a question for you and the 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 other chaps here, the the um the cheerleaders. Um I've got within my family history a a claim uh, of a basic miracle. I can mention that and we can ask questions about how we determine whether or not it's a true claim or not. I'm prepared to go through that as an experiment if everybody else is willing. Okay, so before you get there, once again, uh, just kind of a moderator's note, I think before we take another step forward into the miracle part of this conversation, uh, it might help if each of us takes about 60 seconds, just a roundtable style, uh, and say what your definition of miracle is that you're defending or, or inveighing against. Uh, because this is this is where a lot of accidental straw manning happens uh, and or um, obfuscation. And I, I just want to avoid as much of that as possible. So I will just start off by kind of repeating. I think a miracle is that which otherwise would not happen naturally ca- caused by some non-natural force. So um, it doesn't matter whether Dale says, well, it's a timing miracle of providence. If it wasn't going to happen before uh, and, then it, and then it's set to happen uh, by some artificial means, then it's a miracle. So that's, that's how I define it. Uh, and if it's something that is just defined by nature through and can be explained through the law of large numbers, then I wouldn't define it as a miracle. Uh, Matthew, miracle? So, yeah, I would define a miracle as a, an event that happens by a supernatural agent in, in the context of this conversation. Let's just say that it's a Christian God uh, and it cannot be, uh, but, and by definition, an extension, therefore, it, it cannot be ex- explained naturally. So that would exclude coincidences, uh, but things that happen that can't happen naturally and are specifically done by the Christian God, I would count that as a miracle. Andrew, miracle? I don't feel like I need to define a miracle. Um, if Dale has a, 
uh, if Dale has a thing that he thinks is a miracle, lay out the uh, lay out the effect, lay out the cause, draw the mechanism between the two, and then we can decide whether we actually have a miracle. Right now, this is this is so poorly defined. The conversation is is so mired in uncertainty uh, that I I really don't know what we're talking about in regard to miracle in this conversation. We, we, we're no closer to defining miracle here at this moment than we were when we started. And so I, I don't want to define a miracle, not my job. I'm a skeptic. Okay. My job is to say, what is your cause? What is your effect? How are they linked? Dale. And then we can talk about it. Help Andrew out. What's a miracle? Um, so I, I defined it in my blog, right? And I said it's an event that is beyond the productive cast capacity of ordinary natural mechanisms. Um, they usually require some sort of input from a supernatural mechanistic uh, means. Um, I use, I tie that in with God. I, I think that the miracle is done through the power, the capacity or power of God in some way. So it's not just Satan. Any Anything Satan does or any other instrument does is done through the power of God, ultimately. Uh, okay, Satan, David, I don't know if you're going to let me follow up there, but the no, questions I'm are not. so <laughs> But obvious. I do want to clarify. Are you saying come, come that when on, Satan, when Satan acts, it is through the power of God? Is that what you just said? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, sure, Andrew, you can follow up. But after that, I want to do one more round of definitions since Dale gave a definition that uh, invites it. And that round of definition is then what is the supernatural? Because if we're okay. saying that miracle is beyond the natural and Dale is saying it's a supernatural agent, then I want to make sure that I understand what what is meant by supernatural here too, because that's another place where confusion can hide. Andrew, and then let's give another round of okay. definitions. This is this is quick. I was very clear to say, if you think you've got a miracle, let's lay out the effect, lay out the cause, lay out the link between the two, and then we can have the conversation. Right now we have a definition of a thing, of a category of things that might be miracle. Let's go out and get, like I asked, I asked at the beginning, are we going to have a miracle on this show? If we are, then we can have a very different conversation. So if we're going to have a miracle, let's get that done. Then we can talk about whether it's a miracle or not. Otherwise, we're not actually talking about anything. We, we might as well be debating Harry Potter and unicorn hairs in the hollows of wands. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, before we get to unicorn hairs and the hollows of wands, the supernatural. So I define uh, the natural as the set of all possible things that can happen, period. That's, so that's pretty simple. So super above that would be something that happens outside or above the set of possibilities. So just to give an example, if uh, the natural contains a set of numbers between 1 and 10, um, that's the complete possible set, then we might say, um, well, then 11 is supernatural because it's outside of the set. Uh, don't at me, people. I, I understand the, <laughs> the, uh, how fragile this example is. But just, you know, if the entire set is 1 through 10, we're not talking about adding numbers, we're talking about, not talking about fracturing numbers. Um, the, you know, it's the set of all possibilities. Anything beyond that would be super. The natural, uh, Matthew. What's the supernatural? 
I I don't know how to define that, but it would have to be something that acts or no, something that is and acts outside of what we recognize as, as natural. It's surprisingly chubby to define. Okay, we, we won't be body shaming words. Uh, Andrew, what's a supernatural? <laughs> so if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest about what I've always understood the definition to be, uh, it would be those events that violate uh, natural cause or natural cause and effect. Um, I think I think it's a surprisingly difficult thing to pin down because I don't know all the uh, all the laws of nature. I don't know how they all interact, um, and that is why I've said and I'll say it again: if you think you got a miracle, lay out the effect you observed, lay out the cause that you think is responsible. Let's talk about the mechanism in between, and. We can have a different show. Okay. So, Dale, as you lay out the supernatural, I would like you to take it a step further and tell us how we would recognize the supernatural. No, I'm not going to do that because that's how we identify miracles is off topic. I, I said in my blog, I'm going to save that for when you do your show, the criteria for identifying such events and as well demonstrating such events or that sort of thing. That's so, fine, but I won't know. No this, one else would be limited to, to that because if, if in fact we're saying that miracles are plausible and that miracles are are an instance of the supernatural and they're equally plausible and we shall be able to see that it, it just seems reasonable to say okay well how, how might we recognize that that plausibility how do we how do we recognize what is supernatural it, it, once again this is not a dishonest inquiry um it's it's a it's a way of trying to get at the heart of what's in dispute here because i, I for one would raise my hand and say, I dismiss miracles out of hand. Now, I have a number of reasons for doing that. Scientism wouldn't be one of them, per se. But I, I do have reasons for why I would not put miracles on the ballot box. But one of those reasons is I wouldn't even know how to recognize one. Uh, so okay, I, I think I that's really important to tell yeah. me well, that, how, to, how to recognize one and why it should be there. Okay. Well, well in, that, in, that, in that context, that is... I guess it could. Again, it's sort of cheating to get me to say something I don't want to. But it is. I'm not okay, trying. I, to, you can you can pass. It's okay. But I just want the audience to understand. I am not trying to be a dishonest moderator here. I am trying to get at the heart of the question, and they can judge whether it it looks like yeah, I'm being that, a dishonest or not. I, okay, so I have actually witnessed something that you said and something that Andrew said that would be that I'm actually excited to talk about because it's it's relevant to what I'm trying to do in the blog. So, so number one, so you have a you are presenting a reason that miracles are probably impossible because we have no way of identifying them. Um, so I would just say, number one, can you can you prove that objectively that we no one has a way of identifying them. Because I think that we do have certain criteria. No, I can't get I, anyone to tell me how to identify them. Because no, we're on the blank <laughs> slate, though, aren't we? So that, right. I but, think that's... You're, you're not a blank slate now, because now David has all taken us and presented us with one little bit of information saying, okay, well, we don't know how to identify them. So the skeptic bears the burden of proof because they're saying miracles are probably impossible unless and until I have criteria to identify them. 
So I, I'm just saying, well, that argument... It sounds like you've just put words into our mouths, Dale. Did, did I misdefine you, David? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the heart of what I was saying. I'm not, I don't, I'd have to roll the tape and see the words I said. But okay. yeah, uh, I, I, I think my words have been pretty clear. When you, I, I when you, and Andrew, your your reason is mechanistic. We don't understand. Again, we we don't understand how the supernatural. Well, well, don't don't be okay, okay. but don't be don't be too hasty to apply mechanistic in the wrong way. Um, so I am saying uh, quite clearly that you have to be able to draw a necessary link between the effect that you observe and the cause that you think uh, is responsible. Um, I am not necessarily saying that you have to uh, give me the gears and wires responsible, uh, but by mechanism I am saying that you have to be able to tie the cause and effect together uh, in a way that is more than correlative. Okay, and my objection is more definitional uh, because you say you want to put miracle on the table as equally plausible with naturalism. Well, I know what naturalism is. I don't know what miracle is. And so I, I object to putting that on the table just as an idea that can be weaponized any kind of way without definition. All four of us just gave one, except for for Andrew, who said he didn't want to because it's not his job as a skeptic. Well, right, but you're—I mean, you're—you're you're not giving me a way of recognizing this thing that you're putting on the table as a miracle. I—I I can give you a way of recognizing natural as a possible cause, so we can put that on the table. You can't give me a way of recognizing miraculous, but you want me to accept it as equally plausible. That seems unfair. But uh, yeah, but I, it's I, not. I, unfair. It's more than unfair. It's dishonest, and that's why I object to so much. Why do, why some do of you skeptics feel that it's okay to talk about you? You guys are ascribing bad motives to me. I mean, David starts off the show. Um, by I'm not. Darren, well, you you called me. I'm you not. said I was doing something for nefarious purposes, Andrew, and that's unlikely. Unlike you, I'm. You know, uh, I, okay. I, I'm not by nefarious. Let me let me let me clear that up. Sure. Let me let me clear that up. Um, scientism is a label that is tossed around in Christian circles uh, to just say, "Well, you guys are as religious about your belief as we are." It is a pejorative. <laughs> and and so what I am saying, and and I was quite clear even when I said it then. I said. If we replace science with empirical, I think we've got a better conversation. This is now the third time I've said it. I've said it twice before on Mike in this show. And so, yes, I am absolutely clearly objecting to scientism because I don't think it furthers our conversation. I, but that doesn't mean we can't continue the conversation the way it is. Uh, we're not, for instance, um, using the term uh, fundamentalist evangelical every time we refer to your position uh, on, on miracle claims. Well, there's a reason we're not. And because that it, it is that in some circles, that would be pejorative and we know it. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. done. Okay, well, well, let me just say, uh, number one, I, I don't view labels like naturalism or scientism in that way. These are not labels for people. They're labels for positions. Um, usually when there's an ism, that, that's what it means. And that that's all 
that's all I was using these things for as, as potential reasons. And I'm, I'm happy we're to We're all describing our positions, and they're not exactly the, the way you're describing the scientism. So it's... Look, Dale, I accept that you say, I accept what you say for you. I don't have a problem with that between you and I, just so you know. Okay. So between us, you can consider the air clear. But that is the reason that I object to scientism. So, but the air is clear between you and I. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a poison pill, but if we can, I mean, we can take away the poison pill because you also use uh, naturalism, which is fine. I can, I can define and understand what naturalism is. I can recognize it. And so if we say this may possibly be, a, a, there may be a naturalistic explanation of that, then I know what that is. If you say there may be a miraculous explanation of that, but you refuse to tell me what you mean by miraculous and you just kind of want to leave it open then I, I, I am incapable of honestly saying well that's equally possible because okay, I don't so, know exactly so, what you mean okay okay so let, let's do a fresh start because as soon as you quoted Darren in the beginning I've, I've been in a bad mood um, okay. because I, I felt that you guys were kind of so so yeah I'll apologize for, for being in a bad mood I'm, I'm going to try to let's let's do this right um on my end so okay so so david he, here's how i hear what you you guys are saying um so okay you think i i have given a definition a definition is different than than providing criteria to identify an event um someone can have different you know a general definition of something so that you you have a vague sense of okay well it's it's the supernatural is an event that is beyond the productive capacity of normal natural mechanisms um devoid of any external supernatural input or something like that that that's a general definition it doesn't help you well, well how do i identify one in that and that's where i, I point to my g belief authenticating event uh, criteria, right? Um, as to how we identify those. Um, but re remember, it, it's it's not on me. If we are in in the blank slate, and I I don't know nothing, and then you say, well, we miracles are probably impossible because I I don't know how to identify them. I don't have criteria to be able to identify them. You have to prove, number one, that we don't have such criteria. Um, and number two, what's the significance of not having specific sets of criteria, um, so long as we have a general sense of what it is, and so long as we have something as being logically possible. Um, so that was an argument that Matt gave in his blog, is that, well, maybe it's logically impossible or something like that, ep epistemically speaking. And I had a, a counter for that. Uh, if, if he raises that. Let's just ask Matthew directly. Matthew, are miracles logically possible? I don't have enough information to determine that. And this conversation isn't giving any details on how I would measure it. So I'm being denied the opportunity to make that decision, which is why I, I used the word dishonest earlier. Okay, so what would you need definitionally to be able to answer whether miracles are logically possible? I would need an ex example that I could measure against the same way we do naturally. In order to be able to know whether something is naturally possible, we uh, do our best to replicate it and observe it. 
And so it only makes sense to try to do that. And that's the way that we know works. And it's the no way that we know works best. And so, and I'm being denied the opportunity to replicate that on miracles. So I can't honestly answer whether or not they're logically possible. So my only option is to just reject the whole thing outright because I've got no position from which I can move forward. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's probe you a little bit further, Matthew. Um, let's take away miracle and supernatural. Is the God that Dale believes in, I think we roughly understand the God that Dale believes in, let's call it the God of the Bible. You might even call it the God of the philosophers plus Bible. Is it logically possible for that God to exist? Because you did say in your post that if that kind of interventionist God existed, then it would be logically possible to believe in miracles. So can you answer, do you believe that the God that Dale believes in is logically possible? I still, I can only answer the same way I've just answered. I don't know because I don't have the information to determine that. Everything that has that I have to my knowledge or sorry, let me rephrase that. I have I have access to nothing that confirms it. So I don't know. And again, my only option is to reject the idea. Because I don't have access to anything that says otherwise. Yeah, but isn't, isn't, well, so let me, let me just see. Um, is non-human intelligent life logically possible? Let's just find out what's logically possible for you. Non-human intelligent life. I'm going to assume by that that you mean natural but non-human. Yes. yes. Any, any kind. Yes, so, yes. I'll, I'll accept that. But because I, I, we see that in the world around us. Okay. So, yes. So, uh, you, uh, so we see that in the world around us. Is it possible that there might be, let's say, minimally human style intelligence someplace in the universe elsewhere in the universe i would say yes that's logically Logically possible possible. okay so is it logically possible that there might be excuse me a universe of sorts outside of this current space-time reality that we're in i don't know I'm not asking you if there is one. I'm just yeah, saying, is there anything is that logically? logically that says there couldn't be one? I'm I'm le- I'm less firm uh, on that one because it could also it could also be logically possible that our universe takes up every bit of available universe space, and therefore there couldn't exist another universe, or maybe it doesn't. And I, I don't know how to favor one or over the other. Well, then let's try this just as a so last. I, it could be, it, it could be logically right. possible. So is the if, best you'll get from me on that. If it is logically possible, if it is logically possible that there might be a universe outside of this universe, yeah, then it would pos- also be logically possible that there might be intelligence in that universe outside of this universe. Yes. Could, then would it make sense that we could call that intelligence? A god? Not necessarily. Not if it's a universe like this universe. Look, I was doing my best to push Matthew. As you were trying far- to push me to say that there might possibly be a god that created a yes, being to, that created this universe to force, that, that might to force be a god. you to say that the Dalian model uh, that it's that it's possible and therefore belongs in the ballot box. And while I was pushing you, just so the audience knows, I was also pushing myself to see how far I could go 
down that road in my own mind. And I can show you where I got off the road. I got off the road the same place that uh, Matthew did. Uh, because I don't know that some outside universe to this one is logically possible. And so we can talk about what's logically possible within this one. And it breaks down for me uh, pretty quickly after that. And so I can't actually uh, ride with that thought experiment any further than, than Matthew could. But I was, I was trying to push him hard for your sake, uh, Dale, just to see if we, could, if we could get there even from a skeptical point of view. Before, before, before handing it back to Dale, though, um, uh, Andrew, you've heard there's, this little exchange. Yeah, there's a, pr- yeah, there's, there's a clarity I w- I'd just like to add in here. There's, I have a problem with the phrase logically possible because I think it's ill-defined. In, in my own mind, I have no problem imagining that there is a God outside of this universe that gave life to every everything within it. That's, that is... I, I can imagine that without any issue whatsoever, and I can imagine a whole host of other things that are impossible, both logically uh, and otherwise. So, but just because I, but how do I draw the distinction be, between what I can imagine and what is actually logically possible? And just because I can imagine that there's a, a god that's outside of the universe that created it. Where I doesn't necessarily mean that it's logically possible, and I'm having trouble where breaking that that chain. At what point do I go? No, that's not logically possible, because well, as soon as I say that's logically possible, but that's not, I need to define what's what's changed, and I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to I- express that. So at some point. The logical possibility of there being other intelligent life on this planet that's wholly natural and non-human, easily imaginable because I can see it out there, to a God being outside of this universe that created it, which is entirely within my mind imagining it. I don't know where along that line to break and say that's no longer logically possible, and I don't know how to express that in words that mean anything. Right, me, me either. Um, Andrew and then Dale. Okay. Yep. It, well, this one's easy for me. I got off the train the moment you said outside. As far as we are aware, time and space seem to be linked. It is no more sensible to talk about outside this universe than it is to talk uh, sensibly about before the Big Bang. Whatever information we have about before the Big Bang uh, currently is is lost to any empirical investigation. It may not always be, um, but outside this universe is equally lost to any sort of verification before and outside are, are, uh, are, are just ways of defining the same problem. One has to do with time. The other has to do with space. But in this universe, space and time are linked. And so the very moment you say outside, I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, so Dale, did I did I offer a fair experiment, an example of where the thought process breaks down, or uh, could I have done better? Where where are you on that, Dale? So I think with with Matt's thing, um, so I just want to tell the audience, I'm I'm not being dishonest. I, I mean, I am trying to present a case. So that's my side on that. Um, but in terms of Matt's reason, um, that for all he knows. 
miracles are impossible, therefore he will reject it. He'll make, he won't be a blank slate. He'll make a positive stance that they're probably not true until someone comes to me and proves that they are logically possible or, or something like that. That's, that's fallacious reasoning because on that front, then, well, thank you for proving that the miracles are possible, not only possible, but probable because then you must believe in God. If you, for, mm-hmm. you, admit, you admitted that for all you know, there could be this God, right? A, a logically necessary being. It's logically impossible for God not to exist. For, for all you know, that could be the case. So therefore, you should assume God exists until an atheist comes and proves that actually, no, God doesn't. It, it's possible for God not to exist. That's that's the fallacious reasoning you're, you're applying to miracles in the opposite direction. It, you're saying, for all you know, they could be impossible, so I'll just assume that they that they are. I won't stay as a blank slate and remain open to the possibility of them. Um, that that was my counter argument on on that thing when you wrote it in your blog. Um, does that does that help to provide a, a positive counter? Right? It, it's not in the slightest, to be quite 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 blunt, Dale. Um, and I have no information still, and, and that's the problem. So the, let's go back to the blank slate because that's where you want to start. And, and just so you know, and, we've got about 20 minutes of a, of a hard stop here. So uh, the blank slate is actually what I wanted to end on uh, anyway. So let's, uh, let's see if we can focus on this idea of the blank slate because if I understand correctly, this is the – where the, the argument hinges uh, and it puts everything on equal possibility. So if we can, if we can define uh, this blank stick slate and, and prove its validity, then maybe Dale's case can be proven uh, or disproven. Uh, so uh, blank slate. So <clears throat> well, let's, blank let's slate. Go, and, go back to my, I want to hear your response on my counter there. So, so you're saying. Yeah, you're, that's where I'm getting to. I'm getting to there from the blank slate. Okay. So, and it's basically a restating of what I've done before, and you've not really attacked what I've said. Um, the blank slate, we don't know anything. So we've, we, we've got natural and we've got miracles and we don't know how to differentiate. So we need to move forward. We need to get some knowledge to favor one over the other in terms of plausibility. Everything that we currently know, that we can measure, that we can test, that we can validate is natural. We haven't got a case that is undeniably a miracle, but we have got plenty of cases which are undeniably natural. And the, the, the differences in those piles are just staggering. And of the bits that are a little bit arguable in between where people say it's a miracle and people say we don't, there isn't a clear uh, de facto. So on that pile, I will go, okay, there is definitely natural. But there isn't enough information for me to accept miracles. And so I reject the the idea completely because I do not have enough information to de- even decide whether or not there are. And based on the fact that I know there is plenty to confirm natural and I can't, and I, or rather I don't 
have the same volume of information, even close for miracles, I have no option but to walk away from that that as an option. I'm not claiming it's impossible. I'm stating on the basis of what I've got in front of me that they're not plausible because that's what I've got in front of me. Okay, and Dale, can I ask you a question about the blank slate uh, idea? Because I know how important this is to your theme. Um, the purpose of the, the blank slate analogy. So it would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, we have a an occurrence. It doesn't matter what the occurrence is. Uh, and we are trying to decide uh, what caused it. And so we've got natural causes as one possible explanation. And the Christian says, okay, but also miracle uh, is one of the explanations. And since, since we don't know what caused it, every possible cause should be on the table. Is, is that a fair statement of the blank slate? Yeah. Okay. So that said, what I think the skeptics here are saying is, but so we are limited then to things that would fall in the category of possible causes. And we're further limited by our knowledge of what is possible. So, for instance, we wouldn't put on the table something that we knew was not possible. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a fair uh, blank slate because we know that that thing, whatever it is, is not possible. We're only but if you know it's not causes. possible, you're not a blank slate. Though. And, I think and, that's the point. And I think that is part of the point, that there can't actually be a true blank slate um, in that we always have some knowledge because we're putting in possible causes of a thing. So we know, for instance, what the thing is we're adjudic adjudicating. That's prior knowledge. Uh, we know the types of things that cause those things. That's, that's prior knowledge. Um, we have experience as we're preparing the ballot, you know, of things that cause this. So that's prior knowledge. And I guess my question uh, about your blank slate idea is how do we actually practically get to this blank slate state where we don't know anything and therefore everything is on the table? Yeah, you you can't. It's it's a it's a tactic to get people to understand the assumptions that they have, um, that they bring to the table, um, that I that I've seen in this show on the part of some of the skeptics. Right? You when you're conversing with someone who doesn't share your point of view as much as is possible, you you start as a blank slate. Um, obviously, there are going to be presuppositions like the laws of logic. There, there are constraints as to what we would consider possible based on the laws of logic, right? So, if, if I wouldn't, we, no person in the blank slate would um, believe that square circles are possible because we have, we are hypothetically presented immediately with a reason to disbelieve that there's a logically possible world with that in it. That, that is not the case with miracles. Um, so you have to be presented with reasons to think that it's either not possible um, or that it's possible, probably possible or something like that. And that's what I wanted to do in this show is, is have the skeptic present 
various reasons. So a reason would be you can't explain mechanistically how it works, therefore it's probably not possible, and I would refute that. Or you know, the, the naturalism, their miracles are violations of the laws of nature, therefore they're probably not possible. Um, Matt's major thing is you can't, no one has ever demonstrated, I would dispute that, but still, this is a reason that the skeptic is giving a blank slate guy to go, miracles are probably impossible because no one's demonstrated it, and apparently we would have an expectation for one to be demonstrated, so the, the lack of evidence, given our expectation, proves that they're probably not possible or something like that. The, these are what... I was looking for from the skeptic, um, and then I would counter those. On on the positive side, well, why, why would we believe that they're probably possible? That's where the theist then has the burden of proof to get this guy out of the blank slate. He would present reasons for the existence of God. Once you get God existing, well, then probably miracles, the supernatural is possible if, if a supernatural God exists, obviously. Um, or you could appeal to various, the logical possibility um, of various supernatural creatures or something and say, well, these are logically possible, therefore it's possible for the supernatural to exist. The, these are the two principal ways that a, a theist would get the blank slate guy to go, yep, supernatural is probably possible. Um, what I, But all I was trying to do in this show is, is I wanted to get the skeptics to stop uh, just assuming that, oh, well, the miracles are probably impossible. No, no, you, you can't do that unless you've got reason. So that's why we're starting at a blank slate. And then I'm saying, okay, the ball's to you, skeptic. Tell me reasons why they're probably impossible. And I assumed, you know, scientism and naturalism were two of them and refuted those. But you guys brought up other reasons. Um, another reason is, is obviously the counter. Well, if I can prove God doesn't exist, there, there's an Another reason to think um, that miracles are possibly um, improbable or something. If you can establish God's non-existence entails that su the supernatural is probably impossible. Um, this is what I wanted to, to get out of this um, show, is ha have you guys present various reasons, and then I would pr pr provide counters to that to get you guys back to the blank slate. And then I could provide positive reason. And then I would say, okay, well, so it's a question of how does the theist's um, pro reasons for thinking that miracles are probably positive, um, either by number one, demonstrating that miracles are true as, as Andrew always likes, uh, or uh, proving that God exists and therefore that, or appealing to our modal faculties and, and the fact that we can know that various supernatural things are logically possible or coherent. Um, those would be the ways. Once once I get you to, but if if I the reason why I didn't want to do that just just this will be my last thing. Why am I being so resistant to to taking on that burden of proof here? And it's because pretend I uh, pretend I did try to get into these arguments. Ex God exists and and all of this. Skeptics will have these negative evidences saying that miracles are probably impossible. So what I wanted to do is attack that, get you guys back to the blank slate, and then I would think about doing positive arguments in a future show or something like that. So if I, if I can, I, I think that what we have is a battle of burdens. 
And I think the audience will have to decide ultimately the, where that burden goes. Speaking for myself and not attempting to speak for all skeptics, uh, I would uh, echo Matt Delahunty's um, uh, oft uh, said uh, what I what I think is wisdom is one cannot assert as a cause that which cannot be demonstrated to exist. And so, uh, when it comes to that blank state that you want us to get to, um, we each bear a burden uh, to to put our opinion on the table. So when we both look at the event that we're trying to define, I have a burden. If I want to put naturalism on the table as a possible explanation, I have to show why naturalism belongs there. I have to show that naturalism is a possibility that deserves to be considered. And we think that the Christians should have to do the same. If they want miracle to be on the table, then the Christian equally has to make presentation for why the miraculous should be considered. And we, we reject the idea that their presentation consists of, well, you can't prove it doesn't belong. And that's, that's what it feels like this conversation is centering around. I do understand both sides, I think, better now than I did before. I thank you uh, for your case, Dale, and I will consider that my uh, close. I will give uh, Andrew uh, two minutes and Matthew as much time as he wants to have the last word, which is our way. So first, I think I sense in Dale some frustration because the conversation didn't go quite the way he wanted. Dale, um, I think this show probably didn't develop entirely the way you wanted. Uh, to whatever extent I had a hand in that, I'm, I'm sorry that it went down that way. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation, as always. Two, uh, to close my remarks on the subject, it seems to me that at each point where I was asked directly about uh, defining the supernatural, I tried to be true to your idea of, be, of being a blank slate. I won't define the supernatural, you define it. You bring a miracle. Where's the effect that you observed? What is the cause you think is responsible? And how do you think they're linked? I'll say that in this show, I am no closer to concluding that the supernatural is uh, validly on the table with the natural than I was at the beginning. In my life, I don't see anything like uh, supernatural events. When I answer the door, I don't see leprechauns with pots of gold. Uh, that piece of paper rattling was me and not a unicorn chewing on my notebook. Whatever it means to be a blank slate, and whatever it might mean for the supernatural to participate uh, with equal probability to the natural, they don't occur with equal regularity in my life. And if someone thinks they can make them occur with equal regularity, I invite you to send me an email. You can hit me up at reasonpress at gmail.com because my challenge has been on the boards for years. And all you have to do to change my mind is exactly what I've said here. I look forward to hearing from you. Matthew, That's my close. Matthew, the last word is yours. Okay. First of all, thank you again, guys. And I apologize uh, for any frustrations that might have been uh, uh, my fault uh, on this. 
uh, and you can contact me at the same email address that uh, Andrew just gave out to uh, reasonpressgmail.com. Um, it just so happens that uh, this has come at the end of a week where I've uh, been having a Twitter conversation with a couple of guys on uh, miracles. So I'm going to uh, point those people in the direction of skeptics and seekers and hopefully you guys will get a couple of new listeners at least uh, from that. Maybe they'll hang around for more than just this episode and maybe we'll, something else will come up from that. Um, yeah, so my, my closing comment, the blank slate just doesn't exist. It's a, it's a nice idea, it's a nice hypothesis, but it doesn't exist. We all arrive at where we are with experience, with knowledge uh, and uh, uh, of things that have happened uh, in the world. And, and we each come at it with different uh, backgrounds and history. So the true blank slate uh, doesn't exist. And the way I feel about the, the starting from the blank slate idea is it's just a tactic used to try to get people like myself to go, okay, yeah, a miracle is equally plausible to something that's uh, wholly natural. And so I'm at the very beginning, very distrustful of of that as a, a starting point. Uh, because then what happens is my next point is, well, I know what's natural, therefore I'm going to relegate uh, what is uh, supernatural to irrelevance because I can't see that i can't explain that i can't replicate it but i can replicate what's natural and then suddenly i'm told that i have a burden of proof to bear uh, for for doing that action and i'm very distrustful of that whole s sequence as, as a tactic the, the fact is i'm here where i am now i'm here with knowledge the only things that i can confidently replicate using any means is what is natural and that is through the scientific method i'm not aware of any better method of being able to determine facts like how molecules uh, are made, what their components are, how the planets orbit the, the sun, how people get better from medicine, how computers work. All these things are given to us through the meticulous application of the scientific method. We don't, uh, we don't know anything uh, beyond that, even reading poetry that makes us happy. We can do that in an MRI machine and we can see the functions in the brain when doing something that makes you happy or participating in something that makes you happy. And we can objectively measure using the scientific method that person reading poetry will, um, will get happy. We, we can measure all these kinds of things. And there is nothing in all of that uh, naturally explained world that describes uh, a miracle. Miracles, as I said earlier, live in the world where knowledge is incomplete, where there are gaps in our knowledge. And that is all miracle is. It's, a, it's an appeal to a lack of knowledge. It's the worship of ignorance. And that, I do not bear any burden of proof to reject something which I know nothing uh, about. You know, and Andrew mentioned uh, leprechauns. I'm going to mention invisible pink unicorns are responsible for rainbows because of the, well, I won't carry on uh, with that. And we don't have fairies at the bottom of our gardens. Nobody, whenever I make that comment, nobody tells me that I have a burden of proof to bear 
to prove that it's accepted because there is no because we know how these things happen and we we have no knowledge of invisible pink unicorns or or fairies and so for the same reason you should not come to me and say because i reject a miracle because i have no knowledge of one i bear a burden of proof i don't you want me to accept it bring it on and you can't and the other quibble i had right at the beginning was about the plausibility of miracles cannot be separated from the demonstration of them if you want me to accept the plausible then i want to see the entire chain right back to the agent you can't just say to me accept the plausibility of miracles but i'm not going to tell you how they work i'm not going to tell you anything about the the agent that does them and i'm not going to give you any evidence to support any of that that doesn't help me whatsoever i can't accept the plausibility of that when i've got nothing to lead me to it and so i will continue to deny the plausibility of miracles because i don't have any other option too because i have no knowledge on how any miracle could happen i have no knowledge of any agent that could perform a miracle i have no ability to test any miracle but i have lots of knowledge about what's natural i have lots of knowledge about testing things that happen naturally and i have lots of evidence that things happen that we don't know anything about but nothing to show that that lack of knowledge is anything other than an un, as yet unexplained natural event and i think that is a perfectly good reason to reject that miracles are plausible okay gentlemen thank you and uh, audience thank you it's been a good one and uh, with that, uh, next week it will be my topic, and the topic will be moral epistemology, the one that Christians don't want to talk about. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Cheers, all.